0: Hey everyone and welcome to Icons and Outlaws, your all-access backstage pass. To the legends of the music world, I'm your host, Jonathan Sayer, And I'm Jeff Butchko. And I'm Logan Sayre. This is Episode 1, Stone Temple Pilots. Remember to stay to the end of the episode, folks, to listen to our version of Stone Temple Pilots' big, empty, that you can now find on Spotify and our own curated Icons and Outlaws playlist. You can find everything about the show over at iconsandoutlaws.com and make sure to subscribe and tell your friends. Hey, Jeff. Yes, sir. What is your first memory of Stone Temple Pilots?
1: Oh, man. uh, It was plush, I think. Go ahead. You know, MTV days when videos used to exist. Okay, I remember seeing it come on. He had that red spiky hair, and I was like, "Wow, this guy can sing." It was good. I liked it. How about you, Logan? Uh, The first time I ever heard Plus was we were in the car listening to 106.5, and uh, I was in the car with my mom, and it came on, and I was like, "Oh, that's pretty dope."
0: It's pretty dope. Pretty dope.
1: (laughs) I was like, "Oh yeah, 106.5 is dope." Yeah,
0: dope. Good. Very nice. I just remember seeing Plush on uh, on MTV, and I absolutely fell in love with it and fell in love with the band and followed him and everything. The only thing I wasn't a big fan of was Velvet Revolver, but... Really? Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of that. Really? But yeah, but, you know, to, to each their own. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So listen, so let's
0: talk about Stone Temple Pilots. And of course, we're going to be talking about their frontman, Scott Weiland, right? Scotty Dude. That's right. Well, there are two conflicting stories of how frontman Scott Weiland and bassist Robert DeLeo actually met. One was that Weiland and DeLeo met at a punk rock icon of course black flag concert in long beach california in 1985 now let me ask you a question uh logan mm-hmm. um do you know who black flag is um it's a pirate group isn't it um yes yeah
1: how did you know that um they fly a black flag and they go "Hire matey um
0: actually you suck <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Black Flag was a, an old school punk band, man. They were one of the uh, originals. Well, the, I will. The first around the block. That style. Yeah. yeah. You know, Henry Rollins was actually in there. Well, I thought Sum 41 was the first
1: one. For your generation. <laughs> that would be Blink-182. <laughs> oh, you
0: got... I love... I love... I don't care. I like Sum 41. So, of course, they started chit-chatting here, discussing their girlfriends, only to realize they were dating the same woman. Oh, no. Yeah. However, instead of having some beef and fighting over her, they became friends and formed a band. After breaking it off with the girl, (laughs) they were like, "Bye."
1: Which is funny. Could you imagine? Like Scott Weiland was an attractive man, obviously. Right. Out of the all the all the band members, I'd say he's probably the most attractive. Right. Oh, I would say absolutely. Right. Right. (laughs) Could you imagine? Like, there's some. All of a sudden, you find out that your girl is is with him. It's like, what are you gonna do? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no competition. Yeah. Especially. You know, not to talk bad about Robert DeLeo, but...
0: He's not a handsome man, no no. offense. No, not a handsome
1: man. Maybe he's handsome elsewhere. (laughs) Yeah,
0: but he's a hell of a musician, man. And maybe, who knows, he may be, you know... Well-endowed. Yep. You know those bass players. (laughs) (laughs) So on the other hand, Wyland had a different version of Meeting DeLeo written in his autobiography. The way he tells it, he and his current band, Soy DeSant and uh, guitarist Corey Hickok and drummer David Allen pursued DeLeo after watching him play live at different gigs, which to me sounds probably more of a you know possibility. A, uh, yeah you know yeah. what i mean like realistic even though the other one sounds way better oh totally I like to tell that story at like parties and stuff like yeah. yeah man we used to we used to hook up with the same chick and we were like dude music is better man you know I, mean? I don't know why i made him sound like that yeah. but i feel like the bassist
1: made this whole story up <laughs> it right possibly. to look better like he's yeah. at parties like yeah man we were fighting over the same girl like who you and scott and he's like yeah <laughs> right. and they're like wait 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 you
0: <laughs> and scott <laughs> right <laughs> wait a minute so initially calling themselves Swing, Allen left to pursue other interests after a few years. The remaining members watched drummer Eric Kretz play in a Long Beach club and convinced him to join the band. Guitarist Hickok eventually left the band in 1989 in need of a replacement and auditioning many guitarists. Robert suggested his older brother, Dean DeLeo, and again, amazing uh, a musician, just, you know, yeah, not exactly Scott Weiland in the looks department. It's fine. I'm not. I'm not bashing the guy. You know. No, but he had a hell of a talent, man. Oh, I mean, yeah. Those so riffs good. and the slide guitar, the iconic slide guitar piece. It's and- just they were just innovators. Yeah. Absolute innovators. So he and his brother were born in Montclair, New Jersey, uh, and at the time, Dean was At this time, when they were approaching him to you know come play guitar, he was a uh, a businessman who was actually doing well for himself, who did what many musicians do and decided to leave music behind to find a real job. Hmm. hmm. <laughs>
1: Now, how many times have we told you our kids? Suck. <laughs> that's, that's exactly. How many times have we told our kids that? You know, when we were doing it for years and years and years, when we were younger, yeah our kids were, you know, littler and they would yeah. say, you know, oh, I want to do that when I grow up. And we're like, no.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. No. Not. Yeah. Stay we in school. We would always tell our kids. Yeah. Stay in school, kid. Yeah. Now I do things like, you know, hey, you know, um like Reagan, when she was a certain age, she wanted a guitar, like an acoustic guitar. So I went and got it for her. I think she played it for like a week. Yeah. And then just never touched it again, which is probably a good thing. So so the band convinced Dean to play for Swing, completing the original STP lineup. Dean hated the name Swing and refused to continue playing in that band called Swing, changing the name to Mighty Joe Young, which was a B-movie from the 1940s. They recorded a demo tape around 1990. That demo would have tracks that would go on to be re-recorded for the band's first studio album, Core, as well as some different styles that wouldn't show up again, like some funk and yodeling. Oh yes. Yodeling. Uh, I guess, (laughs) I guess Scott Weiland, he could yodel. I could see that. And he used to do it when he was a kid. Yeah. The power he's got. It's pretty impressive. I I mean, Logan, can you do me a favor? Yeah. Uh, Can you yodel right now? that wasn't bad man yeah. i thought jewel was in the room <laughs> honestly i was like wait where did she come from taking it back yeah <laughs> sorry let's go deeper with that, that yodely yodely you is that better <laughs> shakira is that you Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so mighty joe young played a few gigs in the san diego area gradually building a fan base their first show supported henry rollins formerly of that band black flag we were uh, talking about earlier at the world famous whiskey Agogo in Los Angeles, California. Jeff, you ever been to whiskey? I have not, but you know all of the great stories that will will come across through this podcast.
1: You'll you'll notice that name get thrown out a lot. Like so. that was the happening place in L.A. Right? Mm-hmm. LA? Yeah, to go to
0: right on Sunset, man.
1: There was like that, and there was CBGB, and CBGB is New York, right? Yeah, but I'm I'm talking you know full map, and then what? We'll, there was something in the middle. I can't remember what. It's like um, the wisconsin
0: the rave the rave yeah oh yeah yeah those so are all those are like the three big stops that everybody like seriously yeah. had to go to yeah. so the like, whiskey was amazing your tour is going from la to new york and then well you no you got stops in wisconsin, wisconsin. <laughs> yeah you got stops in between yeah. obviously you know when you set up tours and stuff um, just, well if you have a good yeah. tour manager uh, yeah you know but, it goes from coast to coast so if you're going on an east coast tour
1: you're yeah. going to hit cbgb okay right if you're going on west coast you're going to hit the whiskey and what but there was another one down the strip too um, that um, Motley Crew used to play all the time.
0: Uh, d- 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 the Troubadour?
1: No, that's is actually it?
0: off. That's off the strip if I'm not mistaken. But there was like a handful of them over there that were yeah. like big, oh, yeah. big, big, big. Well, like back in the day, um, what was the club that uh, Johnny Depp owned? The Viper the f- Room. Yeah. That place was like, apparently, I didn't, I just watched like a documentary on that not too long ago where he bought it because he just wanted to like hang out with his friends and he was in a band. Keanu Reeves was in a band. All these people were in bands and stuff and this is unfortunately what brought on the demise of uh, uh, River Phoenix. mm and, um, I, dude, I guess it only hold, held like 150, 200 people, not even that much. Yeah. And like some of the greatest musicians in the world would just get up there and just play. No shit. But you had to be like the elite to get in. Really? Oh yeah. Like that's he would, crazy. he would seriously be like, okay, you can let that guy in, but not the, the, the rest of these people kind of stuff. Yeah. It was pretty cool. That's cool. <clears throat> but that was out there. And I think they're actually tearing it down now from what I heard, but. Oh, that's. Yeah. I think he lost in a divorce. For, uh, <laughs> what's her name? Oh, Amber. Amber, Amber. Uh, yeah oof yes. that's a that's
1: a dirty one there. yeah
0: Yup. so the group then began working on their debut album with first-time producer and mixer brendan o'brien the guy who's uh, worked with future icons and outlaw subjects acdc ooh. pearl jam oh uh, bob dylan I almost said rob dylan <laughs> that's bob's brother uh rage against the machine and bruce springsteen um now out of those names mm-hmm. which ones did you know all of them really yeah you know Bruce Springsteen, huh? Yes, I do. Yeah. What song does he sing?
1: I, there's a bunch of them. Um, like, what's the what most? He's not in any Disney movies, so it ain't going to help you. Uh, you always put me on the spot like this, man. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know names. I know Bruce Springsteen, though, for sure. I know ACDC. I know whatever the other one you said. I'll give you a hint. Yeah. Bruce Springsteen. A two live crew
0: covered one of his hits.
1: Something you named it banned in the USA. Oh, would you say? It's
0: something USA, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It's born in the USA. Born in the USA. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if Cheech Marin got a hold of it, it was uh born in East LA. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in East LA. It was so amazing. That's pretty good. Yeah. Thanks. So definitely a big deal, of course, working with this guy, right? So one day while recording, they received a call from their lawyer. He informed them that a blues player out of Chicago had already claimed the name Mighty Joe Young. And they obviously didn't want to get you know get sued for trademark infringement. So rumor has it that they were inspired by the STP motor oil stickers they loved as kids. You know, you'd have these stickers when you rode your skateboard oh, yeah, or put them on your bike and, you know, stuff like that. Got so that's where mind. they actually got the idea for that. They just were like, oh, yeah, it's kind of cool. And
1: that's hands down one of the most stressful things. And we can speak for, about this. Oh, like, getting a band name. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, it's dumb. Wait, I thought all your
0: bands were
1: created from the band name.
0: Yeah, that's what happened first. Yeah, yeah. You get the band name first, and then, then you start you, writing music. That makes sense. And you didn't know because then what yeah. you do is you you make your sound of your music yeah. based around how the name sounds. Gotcha. Like Rage Against the Machine, they they at first they were like uh, they were funk, yeah, and then they make came up with that name and they were like, oh, now we got to be heavier. Oh, that makes sense. No, that's doesn't, that's oh, no? complete bullshit. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah, pretty, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty good. So no, uh, it's it, it is though. It's extremely difficult to. Because this is something you're going to be known by, mm. and of course, when you're a musician, and you, especially when you're first starting out, you've got these, you've got these high hopes, and you're thinking to yourself, "What's it going to look like on a marquee? Right? What are people going to know us by? You know, would they call us up to win a Grammy? How are we going to? You know what I mean? It's
1: a household name,
0: right? Exactly. And so you have to like kind of work with it. You know, I've I've had some pretty weird names, like um, Erase the Gray before it was Erase the Gray was uh, what well, was Cabal at first, <laughs> yeah. but then it was Last Chance at Reality. Huh. One of the worst names ever. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Cabal seems pretty cool. I have a guy at work who used to go see you guys live.
0: Oh boy. Yeah. He uh-huh.
1: literally came up to me. He was like, dude, he's like, Do you know Cabal? And I was like, that sounds familiar. I was like, why? She was like, like, I was born into he it. He was <laughs> like, he was like, <laughs> he's like, dude, I saw these guys live and the lead singer, you just remind me so much of them. And I was uh, like, oh, that's cool. I was like, Do You remember his name? He was like something John.
2: And I no, was like freak style Uh, ah stop it pop tart (laughs) but it's it's tough because
1: like you're going against and i don't care what time it or you know if it's the 80s 90s or even now you're going against a million other artists out there absolutely so it's like you you land on a name we've done this a million times we we snowball like five of them Mm -hmm. and then we go right to the internet
0: right and look it up
1: oh it's taken Oh, oh it's taken
0: nowadays it's a little bit easier because you can just do like a google search where back in the yeah. day, you didn't have that. You know, you had to like literally get a hold of whoever did your, you know, the the names, like the copyrights, stuff like that, right. and then get a hold of them, file for everything, and then they'd come back and tell you whether or not it was available. If you were, if you were going professional with it, you know. I gotcha. But most people just started their bands, just no. said, screw it, we're going to be called, you know, douche ball and the funk farts. I don't know. My <laughs> first it, band was Ink. Yeah. Like just I-N-K. Yeah. Huh. Ink. Yep. That's cool. That's when we first actually met. He was in Ink and I was in Cabal. Yeah. yeah, way back. We were young. And then my
1: second band was Element. Yeah, it's <laughs> just simple. one word. Yeah. Yeah. But I guarantee you, there was probably twenty other people in the world that had that
0: same band. Oh, for band sure. At the yeah. Same time. Now my band is called Cabaled. so rumor has it that they were inspired again by the stp motor stickers that they loved and various ideas on the initials stp were bounced back and forth like um shirley temple's pussy oh yeah that that was an actual name they were thinking of that's That's pretty dope um stone temple pirates (laughs) and that's all before they settled on the name of course stone temple pilots well, STP built up their fan base in the San Diego clubs and in 1992 signed a deal with Atlantic Records, who had just released White Lion's main attraction, Rush's Roll the Bones, and Genesis's. Genesis's? <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> we can't dance. By the the way, Atlantic Records is a get. Oh, yeah. That's huge. Back then, especially. Yeah. yeah, That was huge. Hmm. And that that all came out the uh, the year before. So STB's first album, Core, was released on September 29th, 1992 and peaked at number three on the Billboard album charts. Wow. Big, big time. Core was a huge success producing hits like Sex Type Thing, Mm -hmm. Plush, which we talked about, which was rumored to have been written uh, while Eric and Scott were in a jacuzzi. So that's that's fun. Um, Creep. Great song, and Wicked Garden. To be honest, the entire album is amazing. You know,
1: it's funny the Sex Type theme that that uh sample in the beginning. Mm-hmm. They used to use it for MTV News for years. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. it would be like, dun, 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 yeah, this is MTV, and they always use that sample from them. So I wonder how much royalty they made off. Oh, probably a lot. They'd have to, yeah.
0: Unless they were dumb, i were like, oh, MTV is
1: going to play? It. I mean, we're talking like three years, and MTV News was on like three times a day yeah. for three years using that sound sample. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, they probably did for sure. They
0: well, let's let's hope they got paid for that because <laughs> yeah, the debut album was a major commercial success. However, some press called the band uh, the band grunge imitators. Oh, the name of the album Core refers to the uh, apple in the biblical tale of Adam and Eve. It was recorded in only five weeks entire album five weeks that's is precious. ridiculous and for all you listeners out there if you if you're not familiar that's very very short to do an entire album for that time yeah yeah I, even pre, nowadays you know what i mean like but
1: this is like pre computer. Re- i mean they were just on the verge well they were doing computer recording but it wasn't as it wasn't as popular as is now, yeah you know
0: and this was also like kind of right after grunge had kicked off right so you know they were to me they i didn't never consider them a grunge band
1: I can see it now.
0: I guess Think, yeah, like now, now back I can. On it, yeah. yeah. Like when Plush first came out, it's like, okay, I kind of get it. But at first, I was like, this is nothing like Nirvana. You know what I mean? Like, no,
1: I lump them in the same kind of realm as like, and I know I hate to say this, but Creed, like when Creed first came out, before all the, you know, like my own prison day, like the <laughs> yeah, yeah. old stuff where Tremani was doing more of the
0: yeah, writing yeah. and whatnot, it's that, that, it was that, like that style. It was just rock. It was like a dark rock. Right. So that's what I thought too. Yeah. Yeah. So Wyland has, uh, he has actually said that the album's central theme is that humanity is confused with songs like Sex Type Thing, which we were just talking about, which is actually an anti-date rape song and was written after a woman that he, uh, that Scott was actually deeply in love with, was raped by three football players after a drunken high school party.
2: I would have never known that.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, when you hear things like that, it kind of makes you look at the song a little bit different. So when you go back and listen to that song again, just keep that in mind that that's what he was discussing as he was writing that you know good to know and it's what we're going to talk about a lot on this show too by the way this is our debut episode you know yeah. <laughs> so Woo! if if things are kind of whatever we're still working some kinks out but you know i think it's 110 percent professional
1: to be honest with you
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it's you know it's working but yeah we definitely want to go and talk about some of the songs and you know um how they were written you know what was in their the creator's mind things like that so yeah it's kind of kind of a really screwed up story to be honest with you so, whereas, okay, Naked Sunday dealt with social injustice. All right. Gotcha. Sex type thing, according to Wyland, deals with um, abuse of power because, of course, we were talking about the date rape thing uh, with macho behavior and humanity's attitude toward women, treating them as sex objects. Also, Naked Sunday is about, uh, again, organized religion. So, it's not just they've got all these different things coming, culminating. And it's, quote, about, um, let's see here. Oh, I'm sorry. About people who tell others what to do and what to believe. They switch off people's minds control the masses. He goes on to say, quote, it gives me a feeling of isolation when I think about it. Organized religion does not view everyone as equals. Weiland says, you know, about his lyrics on core, however, quote, I feel very strongly that all individuals, regardless of age, race, creed, or sexual preference, should have the freedom to exercise their rights as human beings to enjoy life, pursue what they want, and feel comfortable about who they are. I guess I tend to find the darker sides of life more attractive than the yellows and oranges. I know it's something that I relate to when I listen to music. It's pretty awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he was a deep dude. He really was. And, you know, he was troubled. We'll talk about some of that. But he was a do very, you, uh, very deep guy. Do you find yourself, like,
1: theming when you write music? Theming? Yeah, like... Or feening? Like, theming a scenario, right? Okay. Yes. Like, I do. Like, when yes. I write my music it's for me, it's, is more of like the stuff I'm doing lately is more of like a dream soundtrack. Like if I'm dreaming, it's like a soundtrack to a dream I'm having. Okay. And I can kind of like tell the story of what I'm dreaming through the music. And I'm just interested to know, like in anything you've ever written, erase the Gray, you know, anything. Has it ever been like a fiend? Like you, you found this, this thing that you want to talk about or sing about. Yeah. And, and you wrap the whole song around that
0: pretty much. Um, so I've always done this thing with music where, you know, if I'm not connected to it and like when writing songs and stuff, when, when I'm not connected to it, I, I, I will literally write through somebody else, like what someone else has dealt with or dealing with, you know, like several songs, like, Oh, maybe we wrote, um, for uh, blackout superstar. Um, we did, um, um, Oh, uh, the one about your ex-wife. <laughs> oh, Long Cold Day in Hell. <laughs> long yeah, Cold yeah, yeah. Day in Hell. Yeah. I wrote the lyrics based on what you were telling me, what you, what you were going through.
1: So how do you know you if know? you're connected or not? Is it just like something grabs you in the music when you first hear the, with the uh, yeah. vocals? Yeah. So and, like, there, you get like that. that, ooh,
0: that yeah. There's sometimes feeling? you'll sit there and you'll hear it and you'll just be like oh my God, you know, I feel this certain way about it and I know that this is what I want to write. But then there's other times where we're like, well, I want to write about this specifically and then you listen to the song and then you just kind of make it work. Gotcha. You know what I mean? But I think everybody's different out there. That's what I
1: I was interested to
0: know. Logan, how about you? I mean, I know you sing in the shower, (laughs) right?
1: I do sing my own songs in the shower, but usually it's about dropping the soap and I don't want to bend over to pick it up
2: and stuff like that. So yeah,
1: you know.
0: Oh, my God, that went
2: <laughs> totally different than I thought it was going to.
0: So according to Weiland, Wicked Garden's lyrics deal with the loss of innocence and purity, while Sin addresses violent and ugly relationships. Also, the instrumental song No Memory, the interlude between Wicked Garden and Sin, was written completely by guitarist Dean DeLeo. So, yeah, you know, they all had a hand in this stuff. DeLeo said about core, quote, You know how when you listen to a Led Zeppelin album, you listen to the entire album, not just the odd song we wanted to make a record like that. We wanted to create a vibe which would run right through the whole album. And I feel like they
1: did. Well, no offense. Everybody tries for that. Well, yeah, but but they
0: accomplished that. Yeah. Like, that's such an, uh, an amazing album. And for those of you that aren't, you know, familiar with it, you should definitely go back and listen to all that entire record. Yeah, well, you can actually check out
1: our playlist on Spotify. Logan, what is it called if somebody wants to find it?
0: Icons and Outlaws, the playlist. Yes,
1: so you can get on there, and we will have what a handful of songs from each, like our favorites. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. as well as our version of uh, the uh, big empty that we recorded, that is now available on Spotify and everywhere you can get your music. Beer, <laughs> beer. <laughs> <laughs> so he's um, uh, the core contained many more bangers, including "Dead and Bloated, which is one of my oh, all-time yeah. favorite songs, and "Cracker Man." Since its release, the album has gone eight times platinum. Woo. Selling over eight million copies. Okay, so if
1: somebody doesn't know, what does platinum mean? Can that, we, that's that's one million. Can we bring okay, and then there's there's gold.
0: Yeah, gold silver, is silver. Gold bronze. is a hundred thousand, I believe. Okay. Then there's yeah, platinum. Uh there's diamond, which is I want that's to like say Michael Jackson. I think Beatles, it's either ten million or a hundred million for diamond. To go diamond, yeah, that's that's crazy. Wow. And if
1: I ever go diamond, we're getting a hot tub put right in this room. We're going to oh, podcast hell, from yes. the hot tub. Hell yes. Um, I would hope so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we can, we can you write songs like, talking to jacuzzi. <laughs>
1: in the background. You're like,
0: sorry, that's just me yeah. and my hot
1: tub. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so also that same year, Scott Weiland and Dean DeLeo played an acoustic version of Plush on the show Headbangers Ball. If you're not familiar, Headbangers Ball oh, yeah. was a TV show. It was amazing. Ricky Ratman. Yep. Consisting of heavy metal music videos airing on MTV and hosted by Ricky Rackman. Some have considered this one of Wyland's most outstanding vocal performances. If you've never heard it, you should just go check it out. It's amazing. Dude, we used to, like, because that's
1: when I was, I think, uh, early teens, like 12, 13, somewhere in there. We'd always have sleepovers mm-hmm. with all our friends, like, at you know, everybody's different houses. and whatnot. Right. And every sleepover, we'd stay up and watch Headbangers Ball. Every time.
0: I liked that and uh, 120 minutes. What
1: was 120 minutes? That was like
0: the really weird obscure one. It, I think it was on like at three or four o'clock in the morning. Oh, really? But that's where I saw the remix of uh, Link and not Lincoln Park. Um, Limp Bizkit, uh fake. I think it was no counterfeit. It was the remix version of it. And that's when I I was like, what is this? And nice. it's a totally different. I mean, it's on the album, but it's a remix from DJ Lethal. It's, it's, that's the first time I saw that. And you remember Farm Club, obviously. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that Farm was Club a good was one fun. Too. Yeah. yeah, Farm Club, Farm Club broke Kamira. Uh, yeah. They broke a bunch of different bands. Yeah, they were really good. <clears throat> Farm Club? <laughs> that was a TV show. It right? was a I TV know. show. I have no idea what's going on. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> so in a poll in Rolling Stone from 1994, Rolling Stone's readers voted STP best new band, and the music critics wrote uh, said they were the worst new band. Oh, yeah. Of course. <clears throat> but what the hell do they know? Yeah, it they drives me fan. nuts. They don't make music. They're always wrong. They just yeah. criticize always. it. it's it's the same thing with movies if if it's like critically acclaimed and the critics love it it's gonna suck at least in my opinion you know what i mean it's like rotten tomatoes and all that rotten tomatoes if it scores really high it's probably not that good See, it didn't used to be that way. Yeah, rotten no. Tomatoes used to be like, oh, dude, Rotten it was Tomatoes. Shit, yeah, yeah. Hey,
1: dude, it was so hard to get anything over like a 48% Rotten Tomatoes back when it first came out. Yeah, nobody liked Well, movies. they haven't seen the documentary on the Midnight Train.
0: That's right. That is true. Hey, oh, <laughs> ding, ding. I need one of those <laughs> ding, 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 <laughs> I right need, there. Yeah. yeah. So um, in addition, they took home the favorite pop rock new artist and heavy metal hard rock new artist awards the following month at the American Music Awards. The AMA's finally in March 1994, they won a Grammy for best hard rock performance for plush which is amazing wow they're off to a great start yes huge huge great start so later that same year stp returned to the studio with brendan o'brien once again producing to work on their second album purple unfortunately around this time it was also revealed wyland had become a heroin addict unfortunately can we
1: stop for a quick second And explain the role of a producer for people who don't know. A
0: producer? Yeah. Well, our producers for Patreon, (laughs) (laughs) our our Patreon producers, um, basically, so there's different types and levels of producer. So, and this goes the same thing with like movies and stuff and TV shows. Producers are the ones that have input and that go and basically take something and mold it into what everybody kind of wants it to be. Then you have like executive producers. That's the money executive producers are always, so if you look on a record and you see like somebody, they're either just throwing their name on there or they're um, uh, executive producer. So with us, our producer, uh, for erase the gray, when we recorded our album for uh, universal was Jeff Tomei. And he was from, he, uh, what do you mean? From, he was a
1: guitarist from somewhere, wasn't
0: he? No, 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 He was just, that's all he did. Oh, okay. But he worked with, um, smashing pumpkins and everybody else in the past, you know? So he was the producer and he was also our engineer and you know what I mean? But he'd hire guys. in and out. However, our executive producer was David Bottrell. David Bottrell, I never saw him once. Mm. I talked to him on the phone one time, but this is a guy that produced Tool, Mudvayne. So he had he, they had the name. So basically, they were like, we're going to put his name on this. But he he would listen to it and just be like, yeah, it's cool. And then that's it. So when we talk about producers, well, obviously, later in the uh, episodes, we'll get into
1: iconic ones because there's a lot like Rick Rubin. um who's the guy that did corn and slipknot ross uh uh rick ross no rick ross Uh, you know what i'm talking about yeah i think it's rick ross isn't it i don't know i don't think so no i don't even think it's ross something i I thought i don't know (laughs) anyways i'll think of it um you know like rick rubin did johnny cash yeah like a bunch of people anyways so the producer Uh, it was
0: bob ross that's it yeah that's it
1: (laughs) (laughs) butch vig butch vig huge so a producer, essentially, you go into a studio as a band or an artist and you, you you present your music, right? And as you're presenting your music, like he said, the producer kind of adapts it to like what he thinks will sell or what will be popular or what will what people want Okay. because
0: right. you're going into a guy it's like going in and, and say you uh you want to build a house right you have an idea what you want mm-hmm. but you don't know how to build a house okay music's the same way so these guys would go in and, and you actually you know uh, what happens oftentimes is you have a choice of producer you want to use hmm. and the label will be like well, you've got this guy's available, this guy's available, this guy's available, this guy's available. We had we had five or six different ones, and we chose um, – we actually – who was the one guy? I can't remember his damn name. Anyway, but we chose Jeff Tomei from all that because he was like a southern guy. He was down in Atlanta. We were like, yeah, we kind of connect with that. But, yeah, the producer takes what you have and tries to make it better – to sell records. And they right. push you. Like some producers can...
1: So Ross Robinson, by the way. That's it, Ross Robinson. And yes. He produced Corn. And if you're familiar with the band Corn, Jonathan Davis, the lead singer, had kind of a messed up childhood where he was molested and all kinds of weird shit. So anyways, they're recording in the studio when they're doing their debut album. Mm-hmm. And they have this last track. And the last track is all about like him singing about being molested and stuff. It's kind of like a hidden track back when they had that. Right.
0: What's well, it called? Mommy or Daddy or something?
1: Yeah, I think it's Daddy. I think so. Yeah. And Ross Robinson... Like, in the studio, when he's doing the tracks, he's yelling at Jonathan Davis. He's like, how did it feel when your dad was inside you? How did it feel when he held you down? Like, screaming at him. Jonathan Davis, there's videos of it. He's, like, in tears doing his vocal part. But when you listen back to it, it's, like, so pure. It's such a pure performance. You can hear
0: him literally sobbing. But that's what the producer does is they push and pull your best performance out of you in ways that you would never think would happen
1: right wow that's That's a good
0: producer that's what a producer does a producer takes something that's basic and tries to make it as best as it possibly can nice and we'll talk about a lot of really like uh, jeff was saying a lot of really iconic producers out there taylor swift and there's
2: (laughs) (laughs) you suck thank you aren't you glad i made that button i like that button a lot we're gonna use it a lot yeah
0: yeah oh so unfortunately again we find out that uh at this time that scott has uh started doing heroin and it sucks. And on the uh, last stop of an STP co headlining tour with the Butthole Surfers in 1993 in a back room of New York City's Royalton Hotel, Weiland first tried heroin. And in the embrace of this sticky brown bullshit, his demons were finally at ease. While Core took just five weeks to complete, Purple would take less than a month to record. Insane to me. That is insane. Yeah. Less than a month to right. record. You're talking a full album, so what? at least 10 to 12 songs
1: yeah well you got to remember the Delio brothers not great lookers but they were very extremely, <laughs> they were writing the entire extremely time extremely talented we don't musicians. need
0: girls we have our guitars
2: mm-hmm.
1: right they got it done Well, i mean it also makes sense too because like that was their job is was just making and writing music all day long yeah but he can contest i mean we know this because we've kind of semi been through this but like once it becomes real like mm-hmm. once you get behind you're, you have label support and you're cutting a record in a professional studio and you're doing this, that, and the other, it like makes and breaks members. It really does. Like it pushes each one a certain way to the limit. And yep. you're either going to excel and be like, you know, on top of it all, or you're going to just fumble, 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 hate it and either quit or result of drugs or, or something you're, you know you're I
0: mean? at that point you're you're going to the game it's you're the being big tested. game yeah it's the big game and a lot of people just can't cut it they just can't yeah. or if Pressure, they yeah. if they can't cut it they use things to help them cut it right. you know mm. and that's why you hear so often about like especially when they you know these uh, musicians who you know start to become famous and then they start doing drugs and stuff like Like, think about it. They, at this point in time, they just want a Grammy. Two, I was just going to say that. Two yep. AMAs. They were huge. That's they were, a lot of pressure. Stone Temple Pilots was huge at this time. <clears throat> so And now they got to follow it up. Now you got to follow it up. Yeah. And it's also accessible. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, the, the fame is there. The accessibility of everything's there. You can pretty much buy and do whatever you want. Now, there's a big difference between, like, that and, like, Motley
1: Crue, right? So, Motley Crue, their whole theme, their whole aura was party 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 party, yeah. sex drugs rock and roll gotcha so that was like that was all part of the package with their music where someone like this he's dealing with the pressures like john was saying of winning all these awards they're on top of the world out of nowhere like and now they gotta they gotta come with it for the second time
0: right? yeah and scott did have some demons um he had a pretty rough childhood he actually lived here in ohio for a little bit um for a little time in Chagrin Falls, did he oh, really? Yeah, if you, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was the Velvet Revolver song that said like, uh, it, "It was a big hit about like Welcome to." Ohio. I think we talk about it here in a little bit. We'll we'll discuss it. But he lived here for a little bit as well, oh. and then his dad lived out west, and he would go out to California and be out there. And that's pretty much how he stemmed who he was. But I get, dude, he was drinking at like 12 or something like that. Yeah, he had a lot that's of rough. inner tur- turmoil, you know. So the album's first single, okay, from this album was Big Empty, yes, and uh, of course, at the end of our episode today, you will hear that song, and you can find it on Spotify and everywhere else you listen to music, but this deb- this song debuted at STB, um, uh, at the MTV Unplugged, remember MTV Unplugged, the acoustic performance in 1993 and reached number one on the Billboard charts. Huge. Huge. A couple of weeks later, Purple also reached the top of the charts, making two for the band in 1994. Although, like Core, Purple features grunge elements, of course. That's right. kind of what their vibe was going for. But it was just—it was just a different. Mild. It was mild. It was, yeah, mild it was a grunge. different vibe. Yeah, like hints of it. However, this album also displays the band's developing sound influenced by other genres, apparent in the psychedelic uh, rock found in Loungefly and Silvergun Superman, the country vibes of Interstate Love Song, a great song, and the blues rock elements of Big M.T. Allmusic.com Stephen Thomas Erlewine wrote that, quote, Purple is a quantum leap over core, showcasing a band hitting their stride.
1: It really was. And, you know, that's the thing about that era, I'll say specifically, like the early to mid-90s, I'd say generally all the big bands would follow up with a record that was, if not just as good, better than their debut. Yeah, which is a hard thing to do. But, I mean, they were all doing that at yeah. the time, like Smashing Pumpkins did it, yeah. Pearl Jam did it, Rage Against the Machine did it, oh, like yeah. back yeah, I get it. <laughs> <Hoop>. <laughs> come on man i'm trying to have some input <laughs> uh, yes. yeah, nickelback's
0: a, first record wasn't bad no it wasn't it was actually like, wasn't bad Ron, first record nickelback actually had a couple albums out before they uh the you remind me came out with the leader oh, yeah, of yeah. men Huh? Song that leader of men, it may, it it was may pretty been, good, I'm not pretty familiar, good but they were actually signed to, um, I believe, um, you remind me, came out on Roadrunner, or if not, their yes. two, first two albums were on Roadrunner, which was technically that, like, that was a metal label back really? in the day. That's where Slipknot started. I mean, all these Slayer, metal bands. yeah, Saltura, like Soulfly. That Roadrunner was a metal and all of a sudden you got this is how you remember you know what i mean it's like (laughs) what the hell is this yeah but i mean it it was huge for them and then they blew up yeah but there was something about that time period
1: i think you can agree with me where follow-up albums were just as good if not better maybe maybe it was because we have never heard this kind of music before and it's all new to us maybe that's why
0: But I think I I think music fans at that time were different than they are now. So like and and you can probably attest to this um, because you're in that little Logan, uh, because you're in that um, in between. Yeah. You know, like you're not you're not as old as us, but you're also not as young as, say, your sister, Charlie. Right. Um, music today, it's so easy to just listen to something else. I mean, it's everywhere. It's on TikTok. It's on YouTube. It's everywhere. You can just go onto Spotify and find... Like, you're just thinking of a song, and then all of a sudden, boom. But then a song you've never heard before that's similar to that song will come on right afterwards. Right. That shit didn't happen when we were young. You know what I mean? Uh, when we were young, you heard it on mtv or saw it on mtv or you heard it on the radio and then you went and bought the album and then you hopefully liked the rest of the album <laughs> or you went you, what you did is you go to the record exchange there you go and you hope you find a used copy that you can afford yeah right and then right. you buy it and you tell all your friends and it's
1: like oh my god i got it I yeah got it for two dollars yeah know? or
0: if you're lucky enough to you can see them live and then you you know have that live feel because going to shows is one of the greatest things ever you know what i mean right unless it's billy strings uh, the first half, yeah, it was great. <laughs> oh boy. Just a little sidebar here. So my son and I went with some friends of ours to go see Billy Strings, who is an amazing, phenomenal, like uh, uh he's a guitarist, but he's uh, bluegrass. Bluegrass, yeah, great guy. I Both. think he's only twenty nine. He's very whatever. But apparently, and we didn't know this, and neither did the people who invited us to go. He's also a big deadhead. Yeah. So the first half was amazing. Great harmonies. It was only uh, a four piece. It was guitar, banjo, mandolin, and stand up bass. Yep. So oh, it was nice. great. And the harmonies are all like, well, tick, 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 you know, yeah. it was great. And then they took an intermission. and Then we came back and all of a sudden there were 19 minute songs with all these fucking weird ass lights and just delay and echoes and we're like, and they stopped serving alcohol. Oh yeah, my God. Literally right at the intermission. They're like, yep, yeah, you're good. Yeah. We're sitting there so, watching this thing like what in the shit?
1: Yeah. While we're and on the subject, who is the worst hands down that you've seen live? Because I know we've seen millions of people live.
0: Worst live? Yeah. Oh, Where boy. you were like, really let down where you were like you had all this anticipation oh about, so like i was
1: hyped up to go yeah, see them and then you saw and you're like oh really
0: um i think the first time i saw the deftones oh really i swear to god because i'm what such album a, i was such a big fan um this was right after uh, you know i don't remember because mm. i saw them with white pony and it was amazing no this was after white pony and this is uh, camel the cigarette company put like a uh, free go see him at the house of Blues. And all of a sudden he gets up there and he starts doing board. And I was like, you know, with that part where it's like, I get bored. You yeah. know, he's like getting on it. Do you dude, throw the mic? Dude. It, no, it was like, I,
2: get bored.
0: I mean, Aww. I was just like, Oh no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like what? Just what? Yeah. yeah we're going to do the downtowns.
1: They're one of my favorite
0: bands. Absolutely. Ever. I love them. And I love the music. I love Chino. I love stuff. And I love the entire band. Uh, And I'm not negating them, but that was the biggest letdown for me. How about you, Logan? Um, I've only ever been to
1: shows with Dad. So, and every show we've ever gone to has always been phenomenal. Um, Nice. I will have to say, though, I went to one show, my very first show, um, which was Def Leppard um, at the Q. Um, and the opening act was the chick from Heart, and then it was Poison, and then it was Def Leppard. And I you was, totally
0: went with your mom for this one, right? Uh, and my grandfather. Oh uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So we actually got club seats. It was it was good. We won an event on one hundred six point five to be able to go and see it. Nice yeah, yeah, yeah. one hundred
0: six point five. You like
1: that radio station? Because uh, they only play good music. Everywhere else kind of sucks right now. Yeah. um But we saw them, and then the opening act was like, all right, this is pretty cool. And then Poison came on, and I was like, wow, this is fucking songs. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Not a fan of Poison, huh? I am, but like, they went out there and they didn't really give it their all
0: way past their prime yeah.
1: so i have two okay and right. i've seen a lot of concerts in my time I, I mean over a thousand at least okay i mean the biggest one that stands out to me though is the used
0: oh the they used
1: were oh, yeah lo- the, i used to the used <laughs> i used to, love I used used. to lo- oh my god that first album oh, yeah. Baby yeah. memories is it worth
0: it? can you even and oh yeah played though.
1: that thing until it wore out i mean it was such a great album oh yeah and i finally went and saw them live And that dude would throw the mic on every high note. Oh, really? He would also, like, just make his own, I don't know, iterations of it on stage. The guitarist was never in sync with the drummer. Like, it was the biggest pile of crap I've ever seen. (laughs) I was so let down. I was like, what the hell is this? And then drugs are bad and good. (laughs) The other one was Marilyn Manson. Really? Yeah, I saw him at, uh, it was him and Corn and Rob Zombie at Blossom. And this was way back when we were in Chinoa, Okay, like back then. And uh, I had never been like a big Marilyn Manson fan, but I, yeah. I liked what he did. I liked how it was unique and like dark and like, you know, I was into some of his songs, but I wasn't like hugely into him. So I had like an expectation set. It's like, right. okay, this dude's an entertainer. You know, he's got all the makeup and he's all freaky. Like it's... Man, it was the most boring shit I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I feel like his shows would be here. We're all that. on the lawn, and he comes out, and there's all this fog, and like, here it is, doo, 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 here it is, here it is, and he comes walking. Out, he's like, "Hey guys, you out here? <laughs> beautiful people, Cleveland?"
2: Yeah, I was like, <laughs> "What is this?"
0: It was the biggest letdown. So those are the two that stand. Okay, out in but in the, in the same thing, who was the best you've ever like? You're you're just floored by. Oh, Foo Fighters for sure. Foo Fighters. That was the best concert I've ever been to in my life, and okay. I was
1: in the lawn, way in the back, but just watching... The Foo Fighters! The Foo Fighters! The Foo Fighters! Just watching how talented those guys are and, like, live, I mean... They're coming up on our list. They got, like, the old classic rock show where, like, there's a five-minute drum solo and there's a five-minute guitar solo, and then there's, like, you know, claps with the audience and... Just old school. He brings people up on stage, random people to jam with. uh, Like it was such an awesome
0: show. What about you?
1: Um, So I don't have an exact favorite. I have favorites. Oh, Uh, so uh, one of the best shows I've been to was the Burning Vegas one that you took us to when
0: Sid was pregnant. Um, Oh, at the that was the flats, I think. Oh, that was oh okay that that was, that little place yeah um the the foundry yes okay yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: we went there that show was awesome because dad is just such a good entertainer but Aww. too, the music was awesome and everything too we just had a good time we had all our family see there him when he pukes after <laughs> after from <laughs> too much five hour energy <laughs> give we him don't, Jager. we don't need
0: to tell him about, no oh. it was it wasn't it's, we used to. I used to pop five hour energy and I'm already very animated as it yeah. is. And I used to pop five hour because I wanted to like give it my all. We oh. forced him to do it. We'll and you know I it? would do it. I'd overdo it so much that I get off stage sweating and like, na- I mean, sweating to the point where like my arms as I'm throwing like my hand or the microphone, you can see just sweat smacking people in the front row <laughs> you could see it though like because we have so many videos from blackout
1: online yeah if you look at like some of the earlier ones you could see where he's like on stage in the middle of a song and kenny and i are just so like
2: oh, and animated and moving around
1: and he kind of looks at us like this like what are those guys doing i want to know what they're doing so like he would ask us and we're like dude five hour energy and he's like really and we're like yeah so we just kept feeding them to him yeah oh, my and Lord. then like eventually like you know we would we would go crazy in that band and we go give it our all and like at the end of the show you know we'd all be in the back like <gasps> like having a heart attack and he'd be over there puke and just like <gasps> not even joking walk on stage <laughs> like hey thank
0: you guys so much good night walk off hey how's it go <laughs> yeah. like it was bad it that's was bad. That's bad. That's bad um so uh, to be honest uh my favorite and we'll get back to talking about the stone temple pilots here sorry and it's kind of what we do here on the show too um with us being musicians and such fans of music we we're going to talk about you know our experiences and things like that but we also want to hear what your experiences are too Absolutely, we'd love to hear who your favorite and worst you know live um going to see a concert which, which which one sucked which one was good and uh so to me and it can't be any of our bands by the way <laughs> that's not an answer well at least not sucked yeah you right. can't say that one um no uh to be honest dredge oh they, dredge.
1: Let, they let you down or no they, were, go, they yeah. were like my favorite I, was I say
0: i remember i went to go see taproot yeah and they opened up for him had no idea who they were and i'm standing there by the bar and all i was sudden, either
1: with you because i was at that show I you might either went with, with you or
0: someone that we know like, yeah but, uh, that show. but then all of a sudden you hear him like singing through the trumpet. Yeah. And I'm like, what is that? And dude, they was so amazing. Or live. the saw. He took like
1: a back saw. And yeah. Put a mic like just he, his vocal mic. He lowered it down and took a back saw like he would saw wood with. And he's going like this, like he's vibrating it, yeah. vibrating. It's going. Yeah. And he put effects on it. And it sounded like a violin. And yeah. he's playing to like the music. And it sounded beautiful. It was wow. amazing. If you guys yeah. never, if
0: you never heard of Dredge, check them out. It's D-R-E-D-G. Are they still no, they broke up. Oh, okay. I was going to yeah. say. They're amazing. So going back over here. So this guy, Stephen Thomas Irwin from Allmusic.com, also described interstate love song as a quote, concise ep, a concise epic as alluring as the open highway and big empty as quote, a perfect encapsulate <laughs> encapsulate my that word encapsulation of mainstream alienation. Wow. The other two singles after big empty Vaseline, amazing song and interstate love song also hit the top 10 on the billboard charts, giving them three, top 10 hits that year and it's amazing so it's funny i remember being in high school when purple
1: came out yeah and it was funny because nobody really like you know the 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 group that i hung out with was like the skaters and bikers and kids and bands that that's who i was yeah surrounding myself with punk kids yeah right and we all knew about stp like from core you know what i mean we were all into it and everything so when purple came out we were really excited but then it was funny to watch all like the jocks and like the preppy guys yeah walking up and down the hallway singing vaseline like vaseline was the song that like pushed them into the realm yeah of the other guys That's right crazy
0: yeah it was a it was a big crossover hit it, it was. really was yeah and the uh the album also included other minor hits including pretty penny great song and unglued purple has been certified six times platinum selling over six million copies it sold three million copies just four months after its release that is insane Okay, and again, this is back when you bought physical copies of albums. It's not like you were just going and downloading stuff on Spotify or whatever from the, you know, the safety of your own home. You had to go and you know, fight people for albums and stuff like that, you know? Right. It was pretty awesome. So the cover of Purple shows a baby riding a dragon in the sky while some angelic figures look on. It is based on the artwork from a package of China white heroin that Weiland scored in Los Angeles. Yeah, it's kind of
2: kind of messed up <laughs> not gonna lie
1: it's kind of messed up but he's not the only one i mean oh no that was pretty big for any people oh in the yeah that's, that's
0: always been kind of and now white pony yeah oh well, exactly that's what that <laughs> I mean, entire yeah. album's about uh white pony from deftones um pretty much the entire album was written about heroin that's why it's called white pony yeah it's totally messed up great album by the way my favorite of all of their records so 1994 also saw wyland mary janina castaneda I oh, didn't and, know he got married uh, a couple times. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Yeah, and which is, uh, it is said that "Sour Girl" and "Interstate Love Song" were written about. Heading into 1995, Weiland would slide into drug and legal problems. His heroin problems were, of course, getting worse. "Quote: When I tried heroin for the first time," Weiland recalled 1998, "it seemed to make all those insecurities just go away. I suddenly felt, wow, this is how normal people feel on a day-to-day basis." He was spending over three thousand dollars a week. On Smack within a year. Oh wow! And just to let you guys know, I mean, I I'm
1: assuming it's in here at the towards the end. So a little spoiler alert: when he died, he was worth his net worth was two million dollars. Yeah, which you would think it'd be a lot higher.
0: Yeah, well, he also. was... But then
1: again, you're split in three ways.
0: Yeah, and you were also using drugs a lot. <laughs> no,
1: four ways because there was a drummer. Yeah, so they were split in four ways. I would, just, I don't know, but you well, see, then you never everything know that gets,
0: everything gets cut from like. Oh, by the way, that producer we talked about earlier, that guy gets a cut from your yeah. writing sales. So every time a record's played or bought or whatever, they get, they're they called points. And one of these days, maybe for a bonus, we'll go to, we'll talk about yeah, like splits and points, like, and, all splits, that, yeah. points and all that That's stuff. Yeah. So $3,000, lots of money. All right. Wyland found that heroin not only took him away or took away his anxiety, but also fed into his carefully concocted wasted rock star persona and inspired a bracing new experimentalism. He credited a lot of his creativity during the purple recording sessions to his addiction to heroin. Quote, heroin gave me this ability to distance myself from the creative process and thereby gave me the strength and courage to try new things. This is what he told ClassicRock.com. Quote, part of me felt I couldn't be creative unless I was high. And that happens a lot more than you think it does. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, truthfully, especially like I I, I don't really know so much um, as far as like pop music, but rock back in the day, that was the, the, the cool thing was to be fucked up. Oh, yeah. You know but it mean? does, it does like
1: unleash your creativity. I mean, my, yeah. the entire new album, I just wrote, I was high as a kite. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. Every single time I sat down to write, I was. And when he says, hi folks, he means marijuana. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't mess with crazy <laughs> yeah. stuff. Let's make know. sure we're <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. making sure everyone knows that. Yeah. no, that's it. But dude. it does. It like it, you hear things differently.
0: You hear, you think of things in a different way. I mean, you know, this, it you turns your brain off, music. man. Yeah. yeah it, it, it turns your brain off. It does. Yeah. In October of 1995, STP got together to begin recording their third album, Tiny Music, Songs from the Vatican Gift Shop, which is just a crazy name. For, I didn't like
1: this one either. I wasn't a huge fan I of this album. was like, itself. yeah, it's okay.
0: Yeah. They rented out a mansion in Santa Barbara, California, to uh, live together during the recording process. Unfortunately, the production process of Tiny Music wasn't easy. In early 1995, shortly after the band was forced to scrap two weeks' worth of recorded material, and for them, that's like half an album, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they're just hustling through this. Right. Scott was arrested just two days out of another rehab for heroin and cocaine possession and sentenced to one year's probation. Obviously, it didn't take long for Weiland to lose that very little control of the addiction he held during this time. Now, I think now
1: listeners, you're you're thinking, well, probation, that's not bad. Well, if you're a traveling musician, right, you are f- effed. Yeah. If you get on probation
0: for, for drugs, that's your livelihood,
1: you can't tour. Well, you can, but you can only go to certain places and do certain things. Right,
0: and you're not allowed to drink, you're not allowed to do right. anything, you know what I mean? It's it's hard. And that's that very hard. Fs the rest of the band, too. All right. the other
1: members, the road crew. I Paychecks. Mean, everybody gets, Paychecks. suffers from that.
0: Yep. After his wife Janina bailed him out, he literally jumped out of her car at a stoplight and disappeared for days while mm. shooting dope with Courtney Love. Yes, that Courtney Love. Oh. That is
1: the most crazy thing I've (laughs) ever heard yet so far. He just jumps
0: out of a car randomly. She picked him up and he jumped out of the stoplight, took off running and then just went and did a bunch of drugs with Courtney. What is the
1: irony he found Courtney love? Do you think he's just like running through the woods and like just pops out and she's like, there
0: like she was probably like (laughs) i don't know he just found some gutter and there she was you know what i mean let's be honest what are you saying about courtney love courtney love (laughs) you i don't know about now but she was trash oh god she was trash she's always been and i was never a fan of her music i wasn't a fan of of whatever and i'm totally not gonna get into the courtney love the music yeah she's had a band called hole
1: yeah oh
0: Oh, take me over, did it, did it, did it. I'm all I wanna be. That's violet. The Violet, only song I've ever liked oh, okay. from her. That sounds familiar. Okay, yeah. So, and the sky was a <laughs> violet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's correct. <laughs> uh, so Wyland then formed his side band, the Magnificent Bastards, and recorded songs for the Tank Girl soundtrack and a john lennon tribute album in the months following this incident and i didn't know that i didn't know any of this yeah, i had no idea i kind of no want to cl- look it up now yeah so what the- was it called magnificent Bastards. magnificent bastards yeah the tank girl song i do remember that or the song from tank girl because i yeah. loved that movie yeah. um but the john lennon tribute album I had no idea i didn't know he even did anything on that we got to talk
1: about john lennon in a next in a future episode oh yeah. But did you guys watch that documentary I told you to watch on Disney Plus, The Get Back Beatles documentary? No, I have that not Peter yet. Peter Jackson did? Yeah. No, I haven't. Sounds a like a bonus. Part. Oh my god. We'll talk about it and do a bonus on it. Dude, I'm just going to say one thing. Paul McCartney is all, if not all of it, he's he's the Beatles. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I never knew that. I thought it was like a collaborative effort. Right. And he's a wizard. Right. Like oh, he's, he's the a fan. musician. Yeah, absolutely. He is unbelievable. He's that he's no, that guy. No, Ringo was. Okay. <laughs> Ringo, you know what's funny? I've
0: got blisters on me
2: fingers. You know what's funny? Shut so
1: up, Ringo. We we watched it over a whole weekend, and it's each each segment. So it's three parts, and it's like two hours apart, I believe. So it's long, but the whole time it's so funny. My wife is like, "Look at Ringo. He looks like that dog that you you want to take home from the animal <laughs> shelter." Because the whole time Ringo's behind the drum kit, and he doesn't. He has no input. He they don't even talk to him. He, he just, barely knows how to play the drums. He's sitting there, and he's just got this goofy look on his face. He's like. You know, I, the listeners can't see, but yeah. I'm, I'm making a goofy face, and that's that's Ringo's star. Like they never once, like, hey, Ringo, what do you think? Never. Like in the <laughs> whole record, like it's
0: just funny. The only reason he's in the band is because the rest of us can't do that and do our parts at the
1: same time. <laughs> well, there was a funny scene too where like he gets there early. He's the first one at the the studio every day, and of course, John or Paul. <laughs> I'm in a band. I'm in a band. Yeah. I'm in a band. John and Paul are always the, the late ones, right? right? So. He's, he gets there early and then George Harrison shows up and Ringo's sitting at uh, Paul McCartney's piano and he's playing the Octopus's Garden. That's like the only song he ever wrote that they let him put on an album. Right. And he's like sitting there like, the under the sea and an octopus's garden <laughs> in the shade. You know, and he's like, he's singing and George comes in and George just looks at him, George Harrison, he's like, and like goes over to his amp, like he's completely... You know, rolls by him. Oh my god! Then Paul and John show up. John and Yoko show up, and John sits down. And he puts his guitar on, and Ringo's still going. Paul looks over. He comes over, and he's like, "I think it's time to record, mate." And Ringo's like, "Oh yeah!" Stops playing and gets up <laughs> <laughs> so goes
0: behind Like you have to watch this documentary. It's yeah, I'll we'll watch it for That's sure. 20. We'll yeah. do a bonus episode on yeah. that for sure. So they released STP released tiny music on March 5th, 1996 and spawned three singles that reached number one on the mainstream rock track uh, tracks chart, big bang baby, which is a great song lady picture. So lady picture. So, it's good. And tripping on a hole in a paper heart, all decent songs. Yeah. The album sound severely changed from their previous two albums, adding more glam rock and psychedelic styles and less of the hard rock grunge sound that made them famous. Of course, reception by critics at this time was mixed, and we, you know how we feel about critics. Rolling Stone, the magazine that initially dubbed them the worst new band in 1994, praised this record, calling it the group's best effort to date. My favorite song from that album is Tumble in the Rough. Yeah, it's good. Dude, that song. It's that, good. <beeps> yeah, it's good. Yeah. There's a lot of, I, I, like I said, it's not my favorite of their albums. No, up, but definitely it's good. not. Yeah. It's a good one. And uh, however, they were surprised at the quote clattering, upbeat character of the music, seeing that Weiland was all over the news with his drug use and arrests.
1: <laughs> Just go look up, uh, go look up on YouTube. Look up Big Bang Baby, the one we talked about. Look up the video for that. Mm. It is the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. Like they, they mock like the Brady Bunch. So like all the band members are in little squares, and Scott Weiland's in his, and you could tell he's just jacked through his brain. <laughs> and he's like, he's like grinning like the Joker, and just like bopping <laughs> his head to the music and stuff. Like in the video, it's amazing.
0: It's such a good track, though. God, I love that song. Um, so yeah, of course he was all messed up so stp was also featured on the cover of rolling stones issue number 753 in february of 1997 which is actually a really big deal i don't know if you knew that or not but no there's actually um who's saying that on the cover of the rolling stone well, that was the place to be that yeah.
1: that that made you yeah a if legit you were on, artist
0: yeah if you were on the cover of the rolling stone man on rolling stone you are you made it you, mm-hmm. were, you were there there's been a lot of failures after that but yeah that was <clears throat> that was kind of like the pinnacle if you got up there. I got you. So, so the wh- band... Huh? What came first? Rolling Stones or The Rolling Stone? The band Rolling Stone? I, yeah. I I
2: believe...
1: The magazine's been around, what, since the 50s, 60s, I think? You have to look it up. but really? Yeah. I I'm bo- almost positive.
0: I, I you know, I isn't
1: Almost Famous? Remember that movie, Almost Famous? Isn't he, like, working with the guy from Rolling Stone? He was a reporter for Rolling Stone. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, we're going back. And that's the 70s, though. That's but, the 70s. But, but the, I think, I want to
0: say 60s. I, be- I believe The Stones have been around since... Oh, they've been forever. <laughs> late, late 50s, because, yeah. I mean what's his name um what's the guitarist keith richards he's uh what like 706 well, now when jesus moved the rock to come out of the cave keith richards came out after him oh so yeah. he was already in there waiting for him. right oh which would explain the hair at that time <laughs>
1: <Keith>. oh, okay <laughs> so you know he's gonna outlive all of us absolutely yeah he's gonna be like
0: 182 one of the best right. jokes that uh robin williams ever said was that when the world ends there's going to be two things left keith richards and cockroaches <laughs> yeah. and he says he looks over he goes he's gonna pick one up and be like you know i smoked your brother once
2: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> Yep. Uh, so it says that the uh the rolling stone magazine came out in
1: 1967 but the band the rolling stones was founded in 1962 but they both did not base anything off of each other they all based everything off of the song rolling stone by muddy waters oh there you go muddy that, Wa- uh Wa- papa was a rolling stone
0: papa was a rolling, rolling stone, stone. I don't, I don't think so hey, muddy we, muddy waters is an we, old blues guy yeah but i don't think so i mean it's very possible but yeah muddy that's that's pretty cool because i mean honestly back in the day dude like you know there wasn't a lot of really really big rock and if you were into that style of music like when we do the buddy holly episode which i believe is going to be our next episode mm-hmm. right Aye. buddy holly um you're going to find out how iconic he was towards the beatles um the 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 rolling stones like all of these big big bands not were, the
1: weezer song logan oh
0: but that's that's where they got the song the, from oh. we're talking about the actual person yes
1: buddy holly not the
0: weezer song oh <laughs> <laughs> i can't wait to get video so everyone can just see I know the, right the the glances across the table that's pretty I funny know, right? <laughs> I know, right? the band was only partially successful touring in support of tiny music and was forced to pull out as support for Kiss's reunion tour. Kiss, you're opening
1: up for Kiss. That's a odd combination,
0: though. I wanna rock and roll on. Can you name one other song, there, buddy boy? God. Uh, Hold um, on. What
1: if you only had one, one other
0: Kiss song? One
1: answer to answer correctly. He does not have a device in front of them, ladies and gentlemen. This is all of his brain oh i know i want to party on the uh it's um five four nope i don't have it three
0: you suck if you if you said it i would like they've win. got so many huge songs know, like their,
1: like what would you pick detroit rock city detroit
0: rock city that's, that's like, like their f- that most famous. one of the biggest ones um one. uh what, what is it uh uh beth no, nope. there's tons of them. Yeah, Beth it's was a Paul huge. Stanley. <laughs> Beth was huge. Yeah. Hey, yo,
1: Beth, you want a song about you? I'm going to write
0: it. Paul a, Stanley. I'm a, Ow! I'm going to Google this real quick, because I scared they have a better, a better song. So a small tour in the fall of 1996 commenced in the U.S. However, dates at the end of December and in 1997 had to be canceled for Wyland to enter rehab, Ooh. claiming that their singer had, quote, become unable to rehearse or appear for these shows due to his dependency on drugs. Yeah, he was... It was a really severe downfall and that sucks i mean it when you're in a band
1: we've done it you got to keep all your pieces in place
0: we've been in in bands before with people that you know they drank too much you know what i mean like a lot of things like really bad yeah like there's a lot of i mean the excess can happen very very quickly we talked about our drummer that cheated on his wife all the time yeah
1: which yeah. that was really hard. It w- okay. So your own thing's your own thing. I bet it was. <laughs> yeah. Right. Aww. But it's your own thing <laughs> is your own thing. Like, but with this, his wife was such a sweetheart. Like, she would bring us like drinks and food, and like she would always take care of us. And like she was, it was she was like a mom of the band. And, yeah. And to watch him do that when she wasn't around was just like, Ugh. yeah, it was gross. It was. It but was I mean, was really you deal gross. with all kinds of stuff like that when you have five
0: individuals as one piece. You're going to have it some is a five. Tension, it's a five way marriage. Seriously. It's it's like a what is it? Polygamy. Is that what it's called when you have like multiple whatever? That's what it yeah. is. Like yeah. I, I could not even imagine. And I put myself in so many different bands where you have so many different personalities, so many quirks. Everybody's got something else going on, but then you introduce drugs or alcohol to it. And it's just like, wow, dude, mm-hmm. it gets bad real quick. So at only 24, Wyland went from smoking heroin to injecting the stuff. He spoke about his first shot of heroin heroin by saying, quote, it's like what they talk about in Buddhism, that feeling of reaching an enlightenment. He told Esquire magazine, Ugh. quote, they say there's a golden glow that goes from your fingers all the way through your every appendage and into the pit of your stomach. That's what it felt like to me, like I'd reached enlightenment, like a drop of water rejoining the ocean. That's what he said about taking like injecting heroin. Yeah, it's like taking morphine in the hospital. Oh, boy. The band then decided to take a break to work on other projects. Quote, I can't call the kettle black, remarked KISS drummer Peter Chris. Quote, I just pray for the guy and I hope that he gets himself better because they really are a great band. You know, I mean, the guys in KISS all had problems. They were huge rock stars yeah. back in the day. Huge. I mean, they were one of the biggest bands in the world, if not biggest, at one point in time. Things were getting worse after all of the issues with recording and touring for Tiny Music. In 1998, the same year Weiland released his first solo album, 12 Bar Blues, police arrested Weiland for buying dope in a New York housing project. Yes, in a housing project. You'd think he'd have runners. Or like something. Like with his status. Or something.
1: He'd have like a bodyguard or like a like a chainsaw that could go run out and get stuff for you, you know?
0: Yeah,
2: chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he actually stopped in
0: today. And it was good to yeah. see him. Yeah, yeah. So a drug-related probation violation landed him five months in jail later years would bring more arrests for drunk driving battery and possession during the initial recording of tiny music stp without wyland recruited dave coots the singer of 10 inch men and began performing under the name talk show Do you remember talk show at all no okay it was just basically like it was stp without scott at the time but you can't do it right i mean allison chains is
1: doing it with that uh new guy and everybody hates him He's okay. He's okay. Like if You go on Reddit and like the internet, like really? everybody just talks smack
0: about and it. Who's the new guy that just joined? Uh, what band was it? They just got a new lead singer. John Stepp. Uh, no. Um, What the hell? I can't remember who it is, but they just got a new lead singer. I'll, I'll think of it. But I was going to say the only band. Everyone's kind of like saying he's pretty good though.
1: The only band I know of where like a new singer was accepted without any kind of like turmoil or split in sides is Journey yeah they got that uh that guy the asian guy yeah, yeah. and he sounds
0: identical yeah which the, is an original re- singer you, you gotta think to like um steve perry could
1: Jeez. you imagine that getting replaced oh and my then god
0: like guy who's like half your age you oh yeah i mean oh yeah you're done yeah you're yeah. done you're just like and you can just keep going forever uh, at that point as long as your musicians can keep keep up you can just keep going because you're singer you know what i mean right so <clears throat> excuse me Uh, Talk show released one self-titled album in 1997 before calling it quits. Robert and Dean had gotten together to figure out which songs should be tiny music songs and talk show songs. So beforehand they were, you know, doing, because all the BS went down, they had songs for STP and then they had songs for talk show. All right. And so that's kind of what they did at the time. Dean would later say, quote, Robert and I had about 30 songs and we sat in the room one night and basically went down the list and marked next to every song. Scott Scott Dave Scott Dave Dave Scott it's really weird because in all reality it was like Big Bang Baby could have been on the talk show record and Everybody Loves My Car which was a talk show song could have been on Tiny Music both albums um, Wyland's 12 Bar Blues and talk shows self titled uh, seemed to please the critics but neither was commercially successful which I don't think I've even listened to 12 Bar Blues Wyland's solo thing this is the first I've ever heard yeah I don't think I ever did Billy Corrigan of the Smashing Pumpkins once said, quote, it was STP's third album that had got me hooked, a wizardly mix of glam and post-punk. I'm going to continue this in a second, but just listen to the way how Billy Corgan talks. And I confess to Scott, as well as the band, many times how wrong I'd, be, I'd been in assessing their native brilliance. And like Bowie can and does, it was Scott's phrasing that pushed his music into a unique and hard-to-pin-down aesthetic sonic sphere. Lastly, I'd like to share a thought which, though clumsy, I hope would uh, please Scott in hominem, and that is if you ask me who I truly believed were the great voices of our generation, I'd say it were he, Lane, and Kurt. He just talks like... In he
1: that is... <clears throat> like, I'm sure we're going to do a Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, absolutely. About, but
0: you'll you'll see when we do the
1: research for that. Oh, yeah. He is and a that's all <laughs> like, i hear
0: that's all i've to this heard. day
1: that's yeah. why his whole band left and he's got like james eha and i think that's it from the
0: original line up, yeah line up. Like, i hear he's really hard to deal with yeah. oh yeah so in 2016 the av club noted that tiny music quote was an almost shocking leap forward in creative ambition and that stp got weirder and better than anyone gives them credit for number wise the album has been certified twice platinum selling over of course two million copies which isn't bad but when your debut album comes out and sells eight million, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like it's it's kind of a kind of kind of hurts you in the gut a little bit, you know. Yeah. In late
1: 1998,
0: the band regrouped again and began work on a fourth STP album, 1990s number four, and it was looked at as a back to basics rock album, uh, similar to Core or Purple. Stephen Thomas Erlewine of All Music, who we heard from earlier, wrote in a review, quote. It's as if STP decided to complete uh, dire- wait to we decided to compete sorry directly with the new generation of alt metal bands who prize aggression over hooks or riffs comparing the album's sound to the current wave of alternative metal bands this album found STP scoring one of its biggest hits since the core in purple uh, days with the single Sour girl Sour Girl was cool I liked it. Which stemmed from a uh, music video starring Buffy the Vampire. Oh, wow. <laughs> from uh, yeah, her uh, the the star from that Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yeah, yeah you know wow. Buffy the. Ba- That's the girl from Scooby Doo. Yes, Logan. I know. Okay, okay. He knows that one. He knows. <laughs> Hold on.
2: That is correct. Hey,
0: he got <laughs> he used one. to watch that show. No, it's great. Right. <laughs> STP then went on a summer tour with another one we're going to be talking about eventually, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh. And recorded an episode of VH1 Storytellers supporting Number Four with their surviving members of The Doors. Wyland did vocals on two Doors songs, Break On Through to the Other Side and Five to One. That same month, Stone Temple Pilots appeared on The Doors tribute CD, Stoned Immaculate, with their own rendition of Break On Through as the lead track. And The Doors will definitely be an episode one day. I was a, uh, I was a fan of... And then, you know, one of my really good friends became uh, a lead singer of a Doors tribute band, Mm -hmm. and he fully encompassed the entire thing. And then I was enthralled after that, dude. Really? Oh, oh yeah. He was Jim Morrison. Oh, my God. It was insane. Wow. Yeah. And hopefully one of these days, hopefully he's out there listening, buddy. And can I I say his name? I can say his name. Yeah. Jay, my buddy Jay. He was just amazing. Amazing. Hopefully now he's a professor nice <laughs> swear to god wow he went from drinking and doing whatever to be jim morrison now he he's all actually... the indian in the desert yeah and i was like i need
1: to be a professor right and, and now he's ross geller so yeah nice. That's, nice. yeah that's what happens i was gonna say my uh i i haven't heard those but my favorite stp cover that they did was dancing days by led zeppelin and they oh, did yeah. acoustically oh my god god that song
0: is amazing yeah they did such a good job with it it was super good despite the lack of promotion due to singer scott wyland's one-year jail sentence shortly before the album's release it would eventually be certified platinum in august 2000 we're kind of seeing a trend right we roll platinum (laughs) records all day yeah Mm -hmm. the cover art for number four generated some brief controversy because it strongly resembled the cover of the debut ep from washington dc based power band or a band power lloyd the Power Lloyd CD Election Day, who I've never heard of Power Lloyd before, and no offense to them, I've just never heard of him, was released in 98, and the cover was a white five-point star on a black field under the band's name. Huh. STPs number 4 also featured a white five-point star on a black field under the band's name. Power Lloyd co-founder Gene Dietalevi explained that after their band had got uh, given a song to MTV to be used on the soundtrack for, of Celebrity Deathmatch. <laughs> do, you, do you even remember Celebrity Deathmatch, no, Logan? Probably not. Sid always talked about it, but no, I have nothing. Oh, have no it was good. It was on MTV. It was a claymation show. And they would have celebrities come in and, like, fight each other, and it, like, had skits and stuff. It, it was, was gory, too, yeah, really. Yeah it, was oh, pretty, yeah, it was pretty brutal. <laughs> so, uh, and someone at MTV uh, with an advanced copy of number four from STP noticed that the covers were nearly identical and told the band about it. Hmm. However, Levy stated that no one from STP's camp would return their calls or letters until his band mailed a cease-and-desist letter to STP's record company. Could you imagine being STP, being that big, And some band that, and no, I'm not negating them in any way, but aren't really on the same spectrum. Well, I'm going
1: back to the band name thing where there's a million
0: other people that you got to think about.
1: Are are they using that name? Are they using that art? You know, I'd be so just uh, bummed. Thank God song titles don't fall into that. Yeah. Could you imagine? Oh, yeah. Trying to come up with the original song title name? Oh, God. It would be like number 8,452 well,
0: now W Y Z now with the, with everything being so relevant and being, uh, you know, accessible like drum patterns are being uh, hit now. Guitar riffs are being hit, which they should, but they're getting like really hit yeah. that if it sounds even remotely with the same kind of like chord progression or whatever, yeah. they're immediately trying to sue somebody. Wow. You know, I mean, and there's only so many you can have, right, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Looking at a guitar and there's only so many notes on there and so many chords you can do at some point in time, you may overlap. Well, and
1: that's why we have the IR was I R S C numbers for your tracks?
0: Uh the I yeah. That um, you use to re- yeah, register with right yeah, ASCAP. Yeah. So
1: it's like you're a unique number that nobody else has for that track. So rather than using the song because I could have a song that's Blue Heart, you could have a song that's named Blue Heart, and you could have a song that's named Blue Heart.
0: Mine would be Blue Fart though. Right.
1: <laughs> yes. But that's why they go off the number system. Yeah, what is
0: it? It's IRC number. It's IRC or ISR or something. No, I think it's IRC. Yeah, I could be wrong. I probably am. Anyway, so they said no one ever called him back until they sent over this letter to him. STP's legal team then, quote, made an offer to settle that was unacceptable to us, according to Power Lloyd's lawyer, Will Schill. So I don't think they actually ever got the thing settled. Wow. Yeah. That same year, Weiland also recorded two songs with the short-lived supergroup, The Wonder Girls. Ooh. The group also featured Mark McGrath of Sugar Ray, nice. Ian Asbury of The Cult, Shannon Leto of 30 Seconds to Mars, Jay Gordon and Ryan Shuck of Orgy, and Julian Kay, uh, and, well, Julian K. Doug Ordito of Puddle of Mud, Ken Andrews of Failure, Martin Lenoble of Porno for Pyros, and Troy Van Leeuwen of The Queens of Stone Age. Wow. I know. How have I never heard <laughs> of this? I am right? going. When I was going through it, I was like, wait a minute, what? That's like an all-star... Yeah, and I looked it up, man, and I—I I don't think I—I've never—I've never. Did they it. release anything? Well, let's talk. Yeah, let's find out. During the summer of two thousand one, the band released Shangri La Di Da. This is STP. Oh, okay. okay. Despite the album's promotion by going on tour with Lincoln Park, Stained, and Static X on the Family Values Tour. Shangri La da which seems like just like, didn't really yeah. seem like it fit. I'm uh, sorry. Could
1: you imagine like Static X behind yeah. STP? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: you're pushing. <laughs> I they're yeah, again. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? So it was, Shangri La da was a commercial disappointment. This is their, uh, their fifth record, right? Yeah. This album was the fifth and final album released by STP before splitting up in 2002. The album was initially conceived as a double album dedicated to the memory of Andrew Wood, the lead singer and lyricist of Malfunction and Mother Love Bone.
1: Mother Love Bone, that's Eddie Vedder and uh, Jerry Contrell, Males and Chains? I think so, yeah,
0: I think so, yeah. The record company um, was not happy with the idea of a double album, and after a while, the band relented to the pressure and made it the single album that was released. During the recording of Shangri-La-Di-Da, the band had a filmmaker record everything that transpired. Well, Okay, they were literally trying to do a documentary. The filmmaker said the documentary was made to be in the style of the Beatles. Let it be. Supposedly, there was a coffee table book as a companion to the documentary. Unfortunately, neither the documentary nor the book was released. The biggest hit off this album was Days of the Week, which reached number four on the mainstream rock charts. The album did not perform as well as the previous STP albums, obviously selling just over 500,000 copies and certified gold.
1: Well, you got to think. So this was 2002. During yeah. that time, we had just got hit with Corn, Limp Bizkit, Deftones. I mean that was the whole Ozfest era. Like when hot topic was booming and it was all about metal music, new, new metal music. Oh yeah. Right. It was a total shit. You know, that everybody went to that. So all the, you know, rock guys and grunge guys and all that got left in the dust. Basically.
0: Yep. At that point, marketing support from their label was non-existent. And of course you're not selling records. So see, that's the, that, okay. That is that double-edged blade. that sucks. If, if they put money into you, hmm and you start selling records, mm-hmm. they'll put more money into you, right, and perpetually just keep moving you, moving you moving you. But if they put a little money into you and you don't do anything, they're done they're done it's not and it's not even like, okay, let's give this a chance, let's give it an opportunity maybe maybe we should put a little more into it to see what happens it's it's we call it the baloney technique. Um, where you take a piece of baloney and you throw it on the wall and if it doesn't stick, you walk away. Oh, okay. That's it. That's what we called it because erase the gray had that kind of happen to him. You know, that's, that's exactly what happened to us. We signed a, uh, an EP deal when I, ref- I, we had all these record labels coming after us. Right. And we were showcasing and whatever. And then I'm finally universal. Well, actually roadrunner, uh, gave us our first, um, offer and Monty Connor from roadrunner. loved that guy so much. Um, I would love to get an interview with him That'd be on cool. here. Yeah, yeah. let's see what I can do. Uh, so anyway, Monty Connor literally looked at us and was just like, listen, I'm going to just throw a, a deal out there. It's actually better than the original Slipknot deal, but it their original deal was garbage. Yeah. And he's like, this is pretty much garbage, and I just want to see you guys. You know, I want them to start fighting over you. He's like, I'm going to help you out. I'll throw you a bone. You know what I mean? So he did. Next thing you know, we're going and going and doing all these different showcases for all these labels, going to LA, playing the Troubadour, like all this shit. And then... Mm-hmm not really hearing back from anybody and to be honest there's a reason because we sucked at that time it was way too soon for us to be out there right we should have taken the time to perfect who we were and actually whatever we um that we showcased in front of roadrunner records Mm -hmm. that was our second show ever oh wow yeah and was at the symposium (laughs) (laughs) i was there yeah were you yeah yeah it was our second show ever and we uh we showcased and got the the offer from him for that so anyway we ended up getting a um an offer from um, Universal and to be on their imprint, which is Republic, which is uh, Godsmack is also on. And so we were like, well, you know, but we were also like freaking all living in one bedroom house or apartment, you know, and we were like, you know, didn't have any money. We were all focusing on the band and whatever. And all the guys were like, dude, we may not get another chance. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do this. This is an EP deal. In other words, you go in and do five songs. That's an EP, basically, five yeah. to seven. And if you if you don't get a hit off of it, they can just drop you. And right. that is exactly what happened to us. That, that's just how it works. So unfortunately with them, you know, if their record sales are declining or whatever, then they just stop giving you anything. The
1: other hard part about it, too, is like when you're in that kind of uh, situation, they don't market you either like they do other bands. So it's like when, when he says that, you know, if you don't have a hit, you don't make it. There was hits on that record for mm-hmm. sure. For sure. Like rain was definitely a hit. Yeah. But if you don't have the marketing behind it, like the people to push it out and get it to everybody and put money into it. It's, it's like throwing, like you said, baloney on the wall. (laughs) You're either, it's either going to hit or not, you
0: know? Yeah, that's exactly. And it, it it sucks. It really does suck. So they, uh, finally, however, the band recorded all in the suit that you wear a song intended to be the lead single on the soundtrack for the 2002 film. Spider-Man yeah toby mcguire's yeah good one however (laughs) chad kroger's song hero Mm. was ultimately chosen as the lead single look at this graph yeah you ever see that meme (laughs) where you saw the graph yeah Yeah. this soundtrack also featured the song she was my girl by alice in chains guitarist and vocalist jerry Contrell, and was written by Contrell and my good friend that i mentioned earlier our producer jeff tomei who also uh, recorded and produced the song for that soundtrack so it's kind of cool that they were all like yeah, kind of go. in that same thing. You know what I mean? I thought that was awesome. Reports that the band had begun work on a sixth studio album in 2002 were put to rest as the band went quiet by the end of the year. An altercation between Dan DeLeo and Scott Weiland after the last show of Stone Temple Pilots Fall 2000 tour led to the final dissolving of the band. I'm just dissolving even a word. <laughs> right. As an homage to the band's successful career in 2003, Atlantic Records released a great greatest hits album called Thank You. The album had a bonus DVD of archive material and music videos. Five days after its release, the, the DeLeo brothers revealed that the band was officially done in an interview with Guitar One, and this is kind of screwed up. Actually, it's a lot screwed up. Following the band's disillusion, uh, Wyland was recruited to join successful supergroup Velvet Revolver with Guns N' Roses members Slash, mm-hmm. uh Matt Sorum and Duff McKagan. Basically Guns N Roses without accents. Yeah, right. And <laughs> uh, they also had Dave Kushner from Wasted Youth in there. Uh, Weiland was friends with all four of these guys. So when they were looking for a singer, they sent him discs or two discs of material and he wasn't really into the first disc saying it sounded like bad company gone wrong. That's a quote. After that, the guys, uh, and if you're not familiar with bad company, which are you at all? The, the, mm. yep. <laughs>
1: I know the song from five finger death punch. It's about, Well, it. that's it's actually can't get enough of your love. Li- can't get enough of your love. Li- yeah. You no, know. Okay. Gotcha.
0: That song from five finger death punch is actually a cover of bad company's bad company.
2: Yeah. Bad company. Okay.
0: Yeah. So anyway, that's who bad Company. <laughs> After that, the guy sent him this second disc, which Wylan liked more. Wylan declined uh, the invite to sing at the time as STP wasn't broken up yet. So in other words, they sent him this stuff before STP was finally done. All right. After STP officially announced their breakup in two thousand three, the band sent Wyland new material, and Wyland added vocals to the track at his studio. This track eventually became the song "Set Me Free." He delivered the recording to the band in person, but still would not join the band. He recorded two songs with the guys: a version of "Set Me Free" and a cover of "Money" by Pink Floyd for the Hulk and the Italian Job movies. Nice. Respectfully, yeah. And the, this is the original Hulk. Yeah. 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 Shortly after Wyland officially joined the band. Before a screening of The Hulk at Universal Studios, Universal, you sons, <laughs> the band chose a name slash like the beginning of the word Revolution after seeing a movie by Revolution Studios, eventually thinking of Revolver because of its multiple meanings. Mm. It's the name of a gun, the subtext of a revolving door, and the name of a Beatles album. Mm. When he suggested Revolver to the band, Weiland suggested Black Velvet Revolver at first. Ooh liking the idea of, quote, something intimate like Velvet juxtaposed with something deadly like a gun. They eventually arrived at Velvet Revolver. They announced the name at a press conference and performance showcase at the El Rey Theater while also performing the songs Set Me Free and Slither as well as covers of Nirvana's negative creep, Sex pistols, bodies, and guns and roses. It's so easy. Is Set Me Free the one where he says fall says fall to pieces? Fall to pieces. No, that's
2: that's
1: fall to pieces. Oh, it is called that? It, yeah. I, was, well, I was looking for it. I was like, that yeah. was a hit though.
0: That was like one of their big hits. Yeah, I thought that was like their biggest hit, wasn't yeah. it? Velvet Revolver. I remember
1: Slither about? that no 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 no
0: no no. But fall to pieces was Their biggest hit, I thought. I thought so, too. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. In 2004, the band released their debut album. We're talking about uh, Velvet Revolver here called Contraband. The album debuted at number one and has sold over 3 million copies worldwide. So he's back on that money train, baby. 2 million were sold in the U.S., making the album certified double platinum. The album's recording was hampered at times by Wyland having to appear in court for his drug charges and his subsequent sentence for rehab. Nevertheless, two of the album's songs, Slither and Fall to pieces. Aha. Reached number one on the Billboard Modern Rock charts. The song "Slither" also won a Grammy Award for Best Hard Rock Performance with Vocal in 2005. So he's back on top, baby. Wow, you know what yeah. I mean? There was
1: also no rock, <laughs> like other than like the Foo Fighters, I think, around that time. And they had just 2005. Yeah, yeah yeah there was yeah. like puddle of mud foo fighters I'm Linkin park lincoln well, park was more metal though new metal really because
0: the they had the, the rap the foo fighters <laughs> 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 yeah they were they were a little bit different they were they were basically like one of the only rock bands yeah, that's crazy and uh this is an award obviously that uh you know that wyland had won before on for plush velvet revolver released their second album Liber, ugh, ugh, libertad on july 3rd 2007 peaking at number five on the billboard 200 The delay in releasing their second album, according to Slash, was his fault. He had relapsed on drugs, and this caused issues with the process of getting the album out. Slash, get it together. He was bad off. He was... The album's first single, She Builds Quick Machines, peaked at 74 on the hot Canadian digital singles. (laughs) Not negating Canada in any way, but that just sounds bad. It's like, we won a Grammy, and this one's number 74 on the hot Canadian digital singles. That's right.
1: Canada, if you're listening, look up Code November.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Stream it. Stream the hell
0: out of it. The second and third singles, The Last Fight and Get Out the Door, peaked at number 16 and 34 on the mainstream rock chart. Critical reception to the album was mixed, obviously. Though some critics praised the album and felt that Libertad gave the band identity of their own, others described the album as bland and noted that the band seemed to be, quote, playing to their strengths instead of finding a collective sound. Later, Slash would say about Wyland, quote, I just thought he was a great singer, and he'd been on my mind for Velvet Revolver. He was the one vocalist that I knew had the kind of voice that would serve well, what we were going to do. He had a John Lennon-ish quality. A little bit of Jim Morrison and a touch of almost David Bowie. He was the best singer to come out in a long time, in my opinion. And, yeah, I mean,
1: I think anybody in their right mind would want Scott Weiland as a front man mm. for sure. Yeah. Well, not I mean, only he would take your his, music to like
0: the next level for sure, but not only, but he also had that charisma he and did. that vibe about him. Like he was a rock star. But that wasn't until like I would say like tiny because oh no, when era. they first came out he, they were, he was
1: like all shy yeah. and like out of the he had light a, what and, was it
0: pink or purple hair at the one time or yeah. green or something like that when plush came out but he was quiet like in between songs live He yeah. like, mm-hmm, and then people? well we know what helped him break out well, yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> likewise the DeLeo brothers formed the supergroup army of anyone with vocalist richard patrick of the rock band filter oh, i love filter what is filter's biggest song do you what what is their most popular song? I'd have to say that I know Filter. Um, hey man, nice shot. Hey, yeah, good job. I'm shocked. I didn't think he was gonna get that.
1: Correct. Kind of just reached out for the stars on that one. Who is the singer's famous brother? Um, Jared Leto.
2: <laughs> no. I'll give, you, I'll
1: give you a hint. Have you seen this boy?
0: Oh boy, he's young. I don't know if he. Yeah, like Terminator Two. Terminator Two. He was the the Terminator in Terminator Robert Two. Robert Patrick. Uh, Robert Patrick. The yeah. bad Cop. Patrick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. his brother. Yeah. Oh, the funny. band released its self titled album in 2006 before going on indefinite hiatus in 2007. STP drummer Eric Kretz kept a lower profile during this time, operating his own studio, Bomb Shelter Studios, and drumming for the band Spiral Arms. That's a cool name for a studio Bomb Shelter. Yeah, yeah like actually, really cool. Dean DeLeo st- uh, stated steps towards an STP reformation started with a phone call from Wyland's then-wife, Mary Forsberg. See, another wife. Mm. <laughs> she invited the DeLeo brothers to play at a private beach party, which led to Weiland and the DeLeo brothers mending ways. In 2007, Dean DeLeo and Wyland discussed a concert promoter's offer to headline several summer festivals. Weiland accepted and said he had cleared the brief, uh, the brief tour with his Velvet Revolver bandmates. He explained, quote, everything was cool then it wasn't <laughs> everything was cool. And then it was <laughs> right. That's pretty much probably what it was. And said the rest of the band actually stopped talking to him. Weiland was diagnosed with manic depressive disorder. He would often re uh, refuse to take medication for it and had lots of mood swings. As a result on March 20th, 2008, Wyland revealed at a velvet revolver show in Glasgow, that this would be the band's final tour after several flares on their blogs and in interviews, on April 1st, it was announced by several media outlets that Wyla would no longer be in Velvet Revolver. STP announced they were reuniting for a 65-date North American tour the following month. The group officially reunited for a private gig at the Houdini Mansion, which is amazing, and held their first public performance on Jimmy Kimmel Live on May 1st. The reunion tour kicked off at the Rock on the Range Festival on May 17th, 2008, and that, of course, is right here in Columbus, Ohio. Right? Yes. Yes. Okay. To STP sure Ohio, yeah. Ohio. toured throughout the summer and fall, headlining the Virgin Mobile Festival in Baltimore in August of that year and the 10th annual Voodoo Experience in New Orleans. The band's six-month reunion tour wrapped up on Halloween 2008 in Pelham, Alabama. After taking a short break to allow Weiland to support his recently released second solo album, Happy in Galoshes. Never heard of any of these. Neither did I. What the pre-production for the band's sixth studio album began in mid 2009 the band also hit the road for a 13 date north american summer tour in 2009 in between the tours for wyland's happy and galoshes so they're working man they're working their butts off yeah. i feel like
1: these solo albums we've never heard are like dewey cox when he does his solo thing with all the, <laughs> the goats and bah. like yeah, yeah. yeah the goats on a key do it again <laughs> I feel like that's what it would be like, you know, just right. like you're like. Know, what I, is this?
0: I honestly want to listen to them and like uh, oh, give it a, sure. give it a listen, to see how they sound. The band showcased new material at South by Southwest, the annual get together of film, interactive media, and music me- uh, festivals and conferences, organized jointly in mid March in Austin, Texas, in 2010. South by Southwest is a very big deal. It's actually I happening know. right now. E- is it? I saw it in the news when oh, I was nice. doing the news. Yeah, that's awesome. And it it's basically like everybody from the industry gets together. They show new gear, new bands. Like it, they have bands playing like all weekend long, all week long. I think
1: Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio gets a tent. Oh yeah. And he like hangs out in his tent and Brad Pitt comes over mm-hmm. and you know, all the Hollywood to do's all hang out in their tent. Interesting. Drink wine. Then they get back in
0: their plane. And Is leave. it a white shirt program? I believe so. the band performed at england's download festival in 2010 the hurricane festival and the Southside festival in germany and the final four concert series in indianapolis on april 2nd 2010 in addition the band appeared on the late show with david letterman for the first time in 10 years on may 19th performing between the lines it would also be the band's last album featuring wyland on vocals a lawsuit filed by atlantic records on june 12th 2008 actually left the sixth album up in the air Atlantic eventually withdrew the case, and the band's attorney called the legal situation a, quote, misunderstanding. Against Atlantic Records' wishes, Robert DeLeo insisted that he and his brother, Dean DeLeo, produce the record themselves, which began production in early of 2009. Production took nearly 10 months on this one wow. to complete because recording took place during breaks in the band's touring schedule. Again, remember, one was less than a month. This is 10 months. Yeah, long time.
1: But when you're up to here with this is the sixth, right? Yeah, sixth. I mean, when you're you've gotten platinum with damn near every single record you've put out. When you get to the sixth one, you you have the power to be like, you know what? I'm going to do this,
0: right? And we'll get it to you when it's done. But man, the pressure too, though you know because because you think they cared though at that point well i mean if you think about it so first one did eight million copies then it was two million copies then it was a million then it was five hundred thousand you know what i mean it's like do yeah. we, we've got to do something or we're never going to do anything again but you still have that fan base
1: that's going to buy it no matter what
2: yeah yeah i mean but, you
1: could literally but five hundred thousand
0: doesn't say that you could record
1: yourself farting master it wrap I mean, yeah. it in a cd and you're fan base is gonna be like
0: oh did you get the new fart song it's awesome hey, but it's not gonna make as much money as <laughs> no. 8,
1: eight million yeah no you know i mean, what I mean? no but it'll pay the mortgage it mean, well, sure. <laughs> i just feel like they
0: don't that's it's it's more than that you right. know what i mean like there's a big difference between just making a paycheck and then trying to like make a you know comeback yeah I'm you know a album or something against atlantic records wishes robert DeLeo leo insisted that he and his brother again produce it themselves right so they were going to do that Production took, again, 10 months. It's crazy. Three studios were used simultaneously, including Robert's Home Studio and Bomb Shelter Studios. Scott Weiland recorded vocals at his lavish studios. Ooh. Don Waz came in as an additional producer to help keep the band separate uh, Separate recording sessions in sync and work closely with Weiland during the recording of his vocals. The album was completed in December of 2009, and mixing and mastering were finished by February of 2010. The album was released in May twenty f- fifth, uh, two thousand and ten, leading to two singles, "Cinnamon," mm. and "Between the Lines." The album sold sixty two thousand copies the first week. Oh wow! <laughs> See, He looked at me like, "Oh," <laughs> <laughs> and peaked at number two on the Billboard cha- charts. They're back up, you Boston. <laughs> <laughs> the it, Billboard charts number two on the Billboard charts. Over here, <laughs> over t- over sixty two thousand copies. The first week and peaked at number two on the billboard charts. Forget about it. (laughs) In September, 2010 STP announced it was rescheduling several United States tour dates so that the band could take a short break. STP toured Southeast Asia for the first time in 2011 playing in the Philippines, Singapore, and Indonesia. In addition, the band played successful shows in Australia, including sellout performances in Sydney and Melbourne. They're killing it. Wow. The only
1: problem is, and I'm sure we'll come across this with everybody we talk to that's gone this far in their career, but you go to overseas and play these places, you're always going to have to play that stuff you don't like, like the old stuff. They want to oh, yeah. hear the hits. Absolutely, right? yeah, yeah, absolutely. That it's, was a big thing with it's uh, like a best of thing. Nirvana. You know, yeah. he had to play Smells Like Teen Spirit and it got to the point where like later in the career before he, which by the way, he hated that song. I know yeah. he, he, he hated there's it. videos of him and he's just like ah, nah, 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 you know, just like mocking it in front of thousands and thousands of people that paid to see it. You mean like West from Puddle of Mud? Yeah. <laughs> With the pitch shift? Yeah, <laughs> it's so bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love how they ballooned yeah, his yeah. face too. You just see him too like yeah. <laughs> Dean DeLeo told Rolling Stone in December of 2011, quote what I'd like to see happen is the band go out and do more intimate shows. Really lovely theaters around the country. DeLeo also suggested a possible extended reissue of core, including live archive material. Quote, we have tons of live recordings from that era and we didn't multi-track, um, record the stuff. There's no fixes. So they'd sound incredible if we just mastered them, which it is true. Like, so multi-track, you know, so basically, if, if they were... multi-track means you have separate tracks. Like right now, we're on as individual tracks as we talk, or whatever. Right. Yeah. Where a lot of times they go in, and they just one-run tape. Okay. And, you know, we talked about tape before. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, actually, mm-hmm. On, on our teaser. That's mm-hmm. correct. That is correct. Yeah. That ah, is ah, correct. Ah, ah, <laughs> so, um, Scott also commented on the 20th anniversary, of course, saying, quote, Well, we're doing a lot of special things. There's a lot of archival footage that we're putting together. A coffee table book. Remember, we talked about that earlier. Hopefully a brand new album, so many ideas, a box set, and then a tour. Of course, they're excited, they're pumped, they're ready to go. 20 years, their first album. 20, and they're still going. Alive in the Windy City, STP's first ever concert film was released on June 26th on DVD and Blu-ray, filmed at a sold-out show in March 2010 at the Riviera Theater in Chicago. STP began to experience problems again in 2012. Some were said to have been caused by tensions between Weiland and the rest of the band, Despite the band claiming that their fall tour would be celebrating the twentieth anniversary of Core, it never happened. Mm. The rest of STP did not want to do the celebration because they believed that Weiland no longer had the vocal range to perform some of the album songs. Really, remember I was talking about earlier with Journey. Yeah, they got themselves a younger singer that could hit those notes. It happens to like all, pretty much everybody. Oh yeah, I mean, unless you sing in a lower
1: register for all of your music. You know what I mean? At some point, you're not going to be able to hit those falsettos. You're
0: not going to be able to hit those high notes. Yeah, right? Michael Jackson, prime example. Like, there was, towards the end of his career, he couldn't hit the stuff that he used to be able to hit. And so, instead, you got Chamone and Jumbo and... <laughs> so, um, Wyland decided to perform the songs. They did not want to play on one of his solo tours. And I've actually seen some of that stuff. Um, you can actually watch it. I believe it was uh, on, on some TV show, and it was a bad. Really? Uh, oh, bad, 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 bad. Yeah. The rest of the band did not tell Wyland that they were pissed, which made him assume that everything was cool, right? They didn't come out and say anything. How would right. he know? Right. On September 17th, set to perform at a show in Abbotsford, Bri- Abbotsford? Abbotsford, a British Columbia STB, arrived nearly two hours late and cut their set 30 minutes short, pissing off the crowd. The following day, the band released a brief statement announcing that the night's show in Lethbridge, Alberta was canceled because Wyland was ordered to go on 48 hours complete vocal rest due to strained vocal cords. And I've been there. Not even to the extent that they were doing. <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, know? What it reminds me of what?
1: Columbus. Oh,
0: God, that was amazing. Yeah. So I'm sick now. I, we got sick while we were on tour. The whole the whole van was just it was like the riddled. death flu. Yeah, that it was, was bad. bad. Like really 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 bad
1: yeah we were... he was like white as a ghost like it's a sheet of paper yeah on stage trying to sing and like dance around and stuff with like a fever and everything it was amazing
0: and not only that but we drove we did pittsburgh mm-hmm. then drove all the way to philadelphia oof then drove all the way back to play a show at columbus oof. remember what i said about routing yeah <laughs> i was doing the routing yeah. not a good job so it was good on friday night Saturday, feel kind of rough. Sunday, I had no voice. Oh, no. No voice at all. Like, I got up on stage. I was like, uh, nope, nothing. <laughs> I think Ken did a lot of the vocals. He, he? did a lot of vocals. Yeah. And I just jumped around and danced and held them. Dude, I just acted like an idiot. It was so <laughs> yeah. bad. Yeah. On December 7th, hearing rumors that Weiland was open to returning to Velvet Revolver, a radio DJ asked Slash about his possible return. Slash then told the radio station 93X that he had heard rumors Weiland had been fired from STP. He claimed Weiland wanting to return to Velvet Revolver had something to do with that, something that Weiland quickly dismissed. However, <laughs> slash little gossip queen, yeah. And remember, he didn't know anything was going on because nobody from the band said anything to him, right? So you're hearing about this from a radio show. Uh, on February 27, 2013, thir- <laughs> 13, <laughs> shortly before this tol- uh, the tour was set to commence, Stone Temple Pilots announced on their website that quote they had officially terminated Scott Weiland. Of course, that termination eh, was news to Scott. He fired (laughs) back with a statement of his own that set the stage for what was sure to be an epic showdown, saying, quote, not sure how I could be terminated from a band I founded, but that's something for the lawyers to figure out. Ooh. Just one day, yeah. Just one day before he was fired from the band, Weiland was giving interviews saying STP was working on tour plans. Just another example of how significant the divide between the band and himself was. Like, he's sitting here <laughs> raving about stuff. Like, man, it's going to be great. We're doing another tour and another album. And they're like, no, you're fired. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, no, it's not you. But in reality, no, it's you.
1: he yeah. was probably like out of his mind high. And he's thinking that's really going on. But he's just like standing in front of a wall talking. And these guys are like, we got to end this now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, <laughs> you know. here's something that I actually had forgotten about. But Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park appeared as a special guest on May 18th, 2013, oh, yeah. with the remaining members of STP performing at the 21st annual KROQ Weenie Roast and the May 19th, 2013 Live 105 BFD Festival near San Francisco, where they performed a new song, Out of Time. Yes, Chester actually sang for stp wow yeah briefly briefly very briefly and we'll talk about it here stp released a free download of their new single out of time with bennington on may 19th 2013 citing him as an official member bennington had exclaimed that being an stp was his lifelong dream in interviews years before on may 30th 2013 the new lineup performed at the um music cares and uh, a map fund benefit concert oh, in los angeles california they were joined by wyland's former bandmates slash and duff mckagan on, on to perform Mott the Hooples," all the young dudes, a song originally written by David Bowie. Now imagine, which I didn't know about. I didn't know. I didn't know David Bowie wrote that. Oh, you didn't know that? No. Yeah, all the young yeah. dudes.
1: Yeah, I had no idea.
2: All the young dudes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, imagine being Mike Shinoda at this point, right? You're in Lincoln Park, the biggest, arguably the biggest. Oh yeah. New metal, whatever you want to oh, yeah. call a hard rock band of this time in this in this current time, yeah. right? And Mike Shinoda, you know, he's the rapper and he does some harmonies and whatnot. And he plays a lot of and he's really talented. He yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But imagine that. Like your singer is going to STP because it's been his lifelong dream, and you have the biggest band. Yeah. Right. Like I'd be sitting there like, uh what?
0: <laughs> <You're> <laughs> we, doing we what? have co- <laughs> we have cookies. Come over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> doing <laughs> you know, anything, anything. So STP then announced that they would head out on a small tour in September with Filter opening up. They released a five-track EP titled High Rise on October 8, uh, 2013, simply called Stone Temple Pilots with Chester Bennington. Blackheart, the album's second single, was released through iHeartRadio on September 18, 2013. Think about that, iHeartRadio in 2013. You know, like, it's just cra- I don't know, like, yeah. thinking about that. like it's It a, seems early. It seems early, yeah. yeah. STP dropped uh, with Chester Bennington officially from their name in March 2015. So they this just back to Stone Temple Pilots. Right. On November 9th, 2015, Bennington announced he was leaving Stone Temple Pilots to put more focus on Linkin Park. Shocker. <laughs> yeah. And then, unfortunately, Chester Bennington committed suicide on July 20th, 2017, and he will most definitely, and Linkin Park will definitely be an Icons episode. For oh, sure. Yeah. We already got the music started. Yeah, buddy. good. Sadly, by the beginning of 2015, all signs pointed to a new cycle of relapse for Scott Weiland. While on tour with his backing band, The Wildabouts, there were rumors the, uh, that Wyland had started using drugs again. The tour with the Wildabouts was not going as well as Wyland was hoping it would, and uh, soon his roller coaster life would come to an end. On December third, Scott Wyland and his Wildabouts limped into Bloomington, Minnesota, to discover that their show had been canceled due to poor sales. The poor guys, you know,
1: like, you know, as a musician, you're coming up and you're like, oh man. I'm going to be in a band with Scott Weiland, regardless if he's out of his gourd or not. You know what I mean? It's just like the whole fact they're probably fanboying out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because
0: this guy used to be like the biggest rock star. And then they get to like their big show, and it's. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, the man who once held stadiums captivated in the palm of his hand could not even sell a 100 tickets to their show. Yikes. Wow. Just before 9 p.m. on December 3rd, in a hotel parking lot just south of Minneapolis, Scott Weiland was found dead in the bunk of his tour bus. He was 48. He had finally hit rock bottom. The medical examiner later determined that the cause of death to be an accidental overdose. An array of drugs were found on his tour bus, including cocaine, marijuana, bipolar medication, and anti anxiety medica- medication for treating addictions. Wildabouts bassist Tommy Black was arrested at the scene on drug charges. Weinem was no apologist for his behavior. Even as far back as the 90s, he admitted that he was entirely responsible for his actions and recovery. Quote, there's no way you can p- uh, place the blame on anyone but yourself. Although because uh although because I am a drug addict. I don't believe I have control over what I do when I start using it because I feel totally powerless he said. But I'm still accountable for what happens. And that's true and a lot of people don't it's it's it is a disease, I get it, but there's also that accountability there right you know it's it's same thing with um, alcoholism yeah it's a horrible disease and it can happen to people so maybe don't drink as much maybe don't start drinking maybe don't put that needle in your arm maybe you know what i mean right and again it's horrible and it's lots of deaths and stuff out there and i might get some slack for that but whatever but I'm, i've been surrounded by that kind of stuff my entire well, it's life it's also very easy to do when you're on top of the world and have endless money supply yeah right, right? Absolutely. right. and all the troubles like he had a lot of mental illness you know so a few days after his death, Weiland's second wife, Mary Forsberg, wrote a, wrote a jagged open letter to Rolling Stone magazine. Quote, Noah and Lucy never sought perfection from their dad, she wrote. They just kept hoping for a little effort. If you're a parent not giving your best effort, all anyone asks is that you try to just try a, uh, to try just a little harder and don't give up. Her comments underscore the heartbreaking truth that among the singer's family, friends, and bandmates, in the end, it seemed that the one who cared least about Scott Wyland's sobriety was the man who needed it most. Scott. News of Wyland's death quickly spread throughout the internet, with many of his musical peers, including his former band members, along with fans and music critics throughout the world, sharing their condolences, tributes, and memories. A day following his death, his former bandmates in Stone, Stone Temple Pilots issued a statement saying that he was "quote gifted beyond words," but acknowledged that his uh, his struggle, you know, with substance abuse, um, calling it "quote part of his curse," and it sucks that coming out like that. I mean, these are guys yeah. that. You, you literally wrote music with this guy for over 20 years, you know? Yeah. And they also knew it was going to happen. That's
1: right. what caused all the arguments and fights over the years. I mean, they they knew it was a ticking time bomb.
0: Right. A uh, quiet funeral for Scott was held at Hollywood Forever Cemetery on December eleventh, two 2015 in Los Angeles. Members of both Stone Temple Pilots and Velvet Revolver attended. Chris Kushner, the wife of Velvet Revolver guitarist Dave Kushner, wrote on her Instagram page following the funeral, quote, a very sad day when you bury a friend. He was a good man. Don't believe everything you read. Remember, we were all there, which seems really cryptic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, don't believe what? That he wasn't on drugs? Did he not accidentally overdose? She's probably on drugs, too. Yeah, but I mean, and I don't it's know. Justification. It was just, it's just weird. Yeah. Wyland's body was cremated. Mary Forsberg and the two children were not in attendance, later having a private ceremony in honor of their beloved family member. In February 2016, the remaining members of Stone Temple Pilots went to the Internet searching for a new vocalist. Stating on their official website, quote, if you think you have what it takes to front this band, record with this band, and tour with this band, we would dig hearing from you. Believe it or not, I sat down and started recording songs for this. I remember when you did that. You could actually download the uh, instrumentals, mm. and then you record your songs to it, and send it over to him. And I hated everything I was doing, and fucking walked away from it. Swear to God, I was just like, I, I don't like this at all. I'm not going to put this up there. Because what happened was, is that you would put it up, mm. and it's to the public right so it's not like they're the only ones yeah. here in it so if you're god awful it's like american idol yeah you're gonna get bashed and i'm yeah. just like i'm of course my worst enemy and my worst critic here so i'm just like mm, you know what <laughs> i'm good <laughs> plus i don't think my wife would like me going on tour so stp announced that a 25th anniversary edition of core would be re- uh would be re-released or released i'm sorry on september 29th 2017 the reissue includes a 25th anniversary box set, a remastered version of the album, previously unreleased demos and B-sides, and parts of three live performances from 1993. On November 14th, 2017, the band revealed that new metal band Dry Cell vocalist Jeff Gutt had been selected as their new frontman. That's that's the guy who's their new singer. I don't remember Dry Cell. I remember Dry Cell. They were okay. They were like one of those like new metal bands that just kind of just under the... Did they have a hit? Under the rug? Yeah, like a... Yeah, nothing big. Yeah, if you look it up, yeah, you could probably find some stuff on the end. Yeah, look it up. you whatever. On well, November 15, 2017, the band released a new song, Meadow, from the upcoming studio album. On January thirty first, 2018, the band released a second new song, Roll Me Under, and announced the release of its seventh studio album. The uh, self-produced uh, LP, the band's second self-titled album, was released on March 16, 2018 and was their first album with vocalist Jeff Gutt. In uh, mid-2018, the band embarked on a co-headlining tour with Bush and the Cult. On September 4th, 2018, they announced a 15-date Canadian tour with the band Seether.
1: I love Seether.
0: Love Seether, too. They're so yeah. good. Yeah,
1: I would love like, to do that. I feel like it's like a Nickelback thing where people are like, Oh, you like Seether? I love Seether.
0: You know, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, why can't I think of his name now? Damn it. Uh, the 7 desk guitarist, uh, Clint. Corey. Yeah, so Cor, his brother, Corey, yeah. is the um, uh, one of the guitarists for Seether now, I believe. Yeah, they are. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 On November 30th, 2018, STP's current label announced the following, quote, there is a manufacturing error on vinyl copies of live 2018 that was caused by a defective lathe, resulting in the album playing at a 4% <laughs> slower speed.
2: No way! We
0: deeply apologize for this unfortunate occurrence and promise to provide replacement copies to everyone that purchased. And, um... Doesn't that kind of sound familiar, Jeff? Yeah, yeah. Do yeah. do you do you remember somebody putting an album out that uh was way too low that the the the, uh, the DBs were way too low on it when it was sent out, and we were both in that band but weren't when that album was released? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. It happens. Is all I'm saying.
1: Oh yeah, A million things could go wrong. Yeah.
0: May 3rd, 2019, Stone Temple Pilots and rival Sons announced they will embark or they would embark on a uh, their first ever co-headlining U.S. tour in the fall. Produced by Live Nation, the exclusive 12-city outing would kick off September 13th in Baltimore and see the two bands performing on intimate stages across the states. These included the Met, uh, uh, Philadelphia, uh, Ford Amphitheater in New York City, the Fillmore New Orleans, and more before wrapping October 9th in San Diego. June 6, 2019, STP celebrated the 25th anniversary of Purple, which makes me feel old, right? By releasing a three CD, one LP, super deluxe edition set, including a newly remastered version of the original studio album on both CD and vinyl, plus unreleased versions of album tracks and rarities. So for those of you out
1: there that are not familiar with this whole remaster thing, you see it all the time where these older bands remaster older albums and bring them out as new. Back in the day, we've talked about on our bonus episode, you know, they used to record analog with tape or even the early multi-tracks for what, four-track four, four track was the first, I think? Probably, yeah. So, you didn't have all the layering, you didn't have the the capability to, like, clean things in, like, a high-definition way, where now you do. So, what they do is they take those old albums, and these guys sit there literally piece by piece, every single sound on that wave file... And they bring it up a little, and they bring it down a little, and they put like effects on they it, clean They clean it up, they yeah. make it like gotcha. by today's standards right. of, of mastering and e- equalization.
0: Yeah, you're basically just getting like what what some people consider to be a better sounding recording. Gotcha. When in reality, I don't know. I like the old stuff myself, yeah. but that's yeah. just because I'm old, and that's just yeah. how I am. Well, that's so.
1: the whole debate with uh, vinyl. I mean, yeah, it had a it had a pretty good comeback
0: recent. Well, like oh, what, yeah. a year yeah. a year or two ago. Yeah,
1: I haven't. Really young, followed it now the young, but.
0: younger kids are getting into vinyl a lot more too but the, but to me though it's because it's like a hip thing yeah like a, you know oh yeah i've got that album on vinyl yeah, yeah but then like, don't downside, touch my flannel
1: i like the guys that have an actual listening room yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean all like organized like yeah. a library and and they're they're exactly like, hold on and
0: they pull out like yeah then they put it on and then put the real guys who had vinyl we had them in milk crates yeah. all right and if you wanted to listen to something you just shuffle through it and go oh and then the, you play it yeah. January 24, 2020, the band announced they had to cancel their Perdita tour to support their newest album of the same name. The press announcement uh, was, quote, we are sorry to announce that we must cancel the upcoming Perdita acoustic tour. Our brother Jeff has a severely herniated disc Ooh. and doctors have advised immediate surgery, which will require weeks of recovery and uh, physical therapy. Yeah, he's not jumping around stage. Yeah. Thankfully, Jeff is expected to make a full recovery and we will continue with our Australian tour with live and Bush in April. I love live, by the way. One of my favorites. And the summer tour with Nickelback. And we hope to reschedule the Perdita tour later this year. And you thought it was just COVID, didn't you? Yep. Yeah. STB had uh, several live stream performances during 2020, including playing uh, Core and Purple in their entirety, which I didn't know about and I missed. I wish I could have seen that. On March 25th, 2021, they celebrated the 25th anniversary of Tiny Music with the announcement of a super deluxe remastered edition. The three CD one LP set combined a newly remastered version of the album, with unreleased early takes, alternate versions, instruments, uh instrumentals, a full never-before-released MTV Spring Break performance from 1997, as well as a previously unreleased alternate versions of the album's first single, "Big Bang Baby." And if you want more Stone Temple Pilots, just go on their website. That's honestly where most of my information came from for this episode. Really, I did a bunch of deep dives and other stuff. But yeah, that's uh, that's kind of where uh, where it kind of came from. So you can go on there now. And you can. They're still talking. I don't really. I didn't see a whole lot going on after that. But that, ladies and gentlemen, is the story of Stone Temple Pilots, an excellent start to the plethora of icons and outlaws we will be discovering every week, all right? And now listen, the research from this episode is due in part from Scott Weiland's memoir, Not Dead and Not For Sale, ClassicRock.com, StoneTipplePilots.com, from our buddy Adam Moody, who helped a lot on this one, articles by Stephen Thomas Irwin at AllMusic.com, and of course, over at Wikipedia. This week in Music News. All right, so
1: what do we got news this week, buddy? All right, you ready for some good stuff? Oh,
0: I'm so excited.
1: Okay, this is the week of March 20th, mm-hmm.
0: 2022. 2022 it's so weird got kind of scary
1: first up <laughs> we got kanye west's grammy performance pulled over concerning online behavior uh, Ooh. now if you haven't been following the news there's a whole thing going on with kim kardashian pete davidson and kanye kanye's mm. salty yeah because he, like he's a, not happy
0: because pete davidson's like uh, uh hooking up with her right well he's talking s
1: to kanye west from kim's bed uh, uh, like taking pictures <laughs> of him in what? bed with kim and like T- sending them to kanye oh yeah it was crazy okay I'm, I, by the way
0: I, I i i do not like Pete davidson at i don't all. think he's funny at all, at all. Yeah. not even uh, i well whatever he's like i'll probably get lucky popular i guess i'll get you emails know? for that whatever so the new
1: the news follows Ye's temporary suspension from instagram on wednesday after he published a post featuring a slur that targeted the daily show host trevor noah In Ye's post which has since been deleted by instagram shocker Lyrics to Kumbaya were replaced with a variation of minstrel character. So he was putting racial slurs in place of the words for Kumbaya. Who was was? Kumbaya Kanye to this Trevor Noah. Does it say what he said? No, oh.
0: <laughs> not that we can say that. I kind of want to know. I'll have to look it up.
1: Okay. West used the slur in response uh, to to a Tuesday segment of the Daily Show in which Noah addressed the rapper's online harassment of both his ex-wife Kim Kardashian and her current boyfriend, SNL cast member Pete Davidson. Wow! Before West's post was removed, Noah, who is hosting the 2022 Grammy show, responded, telling the rapper that this behavior broke in quotations the host's heart. And that ye should know the difference between that and fighting for your family oh wow so this trevor noah guys is
0: chiming in and where his business shouldn't be
1: oh wow and it made kanye
0: mad which by the way i'm I'm really excited to do the uh uh, kanye west episode yeah only because that dude is nuts oh (laughs) he's interesting he is nuts and listen i i I actually i like some of his stuff oh yeah you know what i mean like it's cool especially you know years ago when he first came out like it's awesome but he is he is interesting to say the least yeah. yeah yeah
1: So if you're if you're just joking about all that and and I'm an idiot for caring, then so be it. But I'd rather be the idiot who spoke up. Noah concluded his comment. Oh, boy. Ye's rep declined to confirm whether the rapper was still attending or invited to the 2022 show taking place on April
0: 3rd. Oh, yeah, come on. So
1: Stop if he it. does show up, it'll be interesting because Trevor Noah's hosting it. Oh, boy. So, you know, it'd be like... I'm going to let you have your moment, Taylor Swift, but <laughs> Beyonce, you know, it's going to be one yeah. of those things. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? All right. Oh, I can only imagine. Here's a good one that I think you're going to be kind of shocked. Okay. I don't know if you know this. Okay. Daniel Radcliffe says he landed the role of Weird Al. Weird Al. Yes. Due to a novelty song he performed for Rihanna. Yeah. The Harry Potter star is set to portray the parody song specialist in a biopic for the Roku channel. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to have to get that channel just to watch that. (laughs) The Harry Potter star visited the Tonight Show on Friday where host Jimmy Fallon asked about Weird, the biopic for the Roku channel, in which Radcliffe is set to star as the parody song expert. Curious to how the casting came about, Fallon asked if Radcliffe had previously met Yankovic, to which he said no. When I talked to Al for the first time, I was like, I'm immensely flattered by the idea that you would pick me to play you. But, like, why me? I'm mystified but excited, Radcliffe recalled. <laughs> As he pushes up his glasses. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mystified but excited. I think I think they'll do a good job, like, making him yeah. look like Weird Al. Oh, yeah. For yeah. sure, because he, he looks like he would be able to fit that. Well, Al's yeah.
0: a total dork, but he's, like, a smart dork. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, dude, he's
2: so smart. But the fact
0: that Weird Al's getting his own biopic is, like, what? It's amazing. Pretty That's pretty cool. Pretty it's amazing. And I actually heard that uh, Radcliffe said that he's, like, um having fun and getting into the whole thing or whatever oh, how could you not I know right, right? like that'd be the, dude please put a wig on me I'll go be weird <laughs> out <know laughs> <what I mean?
2: laughs>
0: give me an accordion and a wig and I'm gone here's a good one okay Beck you
1: guys know Beck you yeah. know what Beck is no the, the band no, sounds amazing no, it's a one man Oh, it is yeah, yeah. okay uh-huh. He says awesome. he's re-recording early hits Loser and where it's at. Okay. So Loser. Yeah. I'm a loser,
0: baby. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's yeah. back.
1: Yeah. Got you. The singer was speaking during his keynote appearance at South by Southwest, which nice. is going on right now. I think it's a bit arbitrary that you make a record and that's the only version that exists. He said, you look back at your work and you see things you want to fix. That's what drives the next album. You constantly try to evolve, but not crystallize. Huh? That's kind of cool. Hey, Beck get Crazy with the cheese whiz, <laughs> get crazy with the cheese whiz. <laughs> that's that's just a story where you know a guy ran out of money, and yeah, here's what made money. Yeah, let's do it again. Got
0: a devil's haircut in my mind. He was it's he also, was like
1: interesting. He, as a lyricist, yeah, he was very interesting.
0: If you go back and listen to some of his stuff, man, he's very um eclectic. Yeah, he's just seems like a weird dude, man. All right
1: uh here's a good one uh dave Grawl recalls seeing david bowie live for the first time which i thought this was kind of cool so we were talking about david bowie earlier and like how you know just over the top
0: and another one i cannot wait spent, to do yeah we have so we're going to be doing sh- episodes for the next 200 years because of <laughs> all of the amazing right. icons and
1: outlaws out there so dave dave Gral, he says i looked at him and it was like seeing an alien Speaking to Australian Broadcasting Corporation's program earlier this month, the Foo Fighters frontman reminisced on the time both men appeared on the same festival Bill. And Grawl witnessed the Thin White Duke, is what he called him.
0: The Thin White Duke. Thin
1: White Duke live for the first time. Grawl says, I stood in a photo pit and looked at him, and it was like seeing an alien. You know, it was like seeing a UFO for the first time. Like, oh my God, it's real. That's something I've never seen before. And then getting to meet him, he told 7.30 host... Lee Sales, all that feeling coming down to Earth, realizing, "Oh my God, what a gentleman! What a brilliant, sweet, kind, outrageously funny person!" And then I recorded a song with him. This was years ago, and watching him step up in front of the microphone and begin to sing, you realize, "Wow, that voice—that's real. That just comes out of his mouth. That iconic voice."
0: So this is Dave Grohl talking
2: wow, about. I that's kind of that cool. cool. Hmm.
0: And and it, it, obviously, this is our first episode here. Um, Jeff is a huge Dave Grohl fanboy. Yeah, huge, it's huge. Like me, it's Weird Al. Him, yep. it's Dave Grohl. I think Dave Grohl's like the most
1: talented person of our generation. Oh, yeah, hands down. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally agree. You, have you seen play? <laughs> no. He's the where he plays all the stuff.
0: Oh my god, he's baby. the songbird of our generation.
1: And lastly, in the news today. All right, this is weird. There's a new U2 television series reportedly in the works from Star Wars director J.J. Abrams. Wait, U2 the band? U2, U2 the like the Bono? Band. Yes. What? The series is reportedly in the works for Netflix. According to the reports, in Hollywood Reporter Abrams and his Bad Robot Productions company are developing a scripted series for Netflix about the Bono-fronted band. There are reports that the script of the show is being written by Anthony McCartin, the scriptwriter behind the Queen biopic Bohemian Rhapsody.
0: Okay, nice. Let me guess. So
1: I I don't know. I mean, I guess it's about time for you two to have their own movie. Yeah, Yeah. dude, they've been around for a minute. So So when they they release it, are they going to give it to every Apple person ever for free? And (laughs) yeah, force force it on your (laughs) phone. No, right, right. (laughs) Netflix is just going to start playing it immediately. (laughs) No. And then, lastly, with some tragic news, we have a death in the music world. Recently passed on, icon and outlaw. We salute you. So who is it? This would be a one Mike Cross guitarist of the (laughs) band Sponge oh really 57 years old oh no way uh, if you don't know who Sponges they had a hit song Molly you know that 16 candles down the drain yeah. and then great song plowed you know that say a prayer for me love that one too yep. I was yep. a
0: huge fan of that band so oh the, wow that, that
1: guitarist has passed
0: away how did, 57. Did we it salute say, you yeah did it say how we, uh, how we passed away it did not unfortunately. It, it, it was COVID Dr. Fauci <laughs> said so <laughs> oh man so listen make sure to follow like and subscribe to all of our social media channels just search for I cons and outlaws wherever you listen to your favorite podcast and connect with your favorite people we produce another amazing podcast called the midnight train and if you're into unsolved true crime the paranormal or anything mysterious and can laugh at the craziness in all of it uh we think you'll actually like that and one. if i'm not mistaken you have some big news coming up for that i you? do yeah that people are going to be like what they're going to have to listen to find out nice. so you can find that midnight train anywhere or you can go to accidentaldads.com and of course you can find that information there so um Lastly, please consider supporting both shows by signing up to be a Patreon producer over at patreon.com forward slash the midnight train podcast, which will be changing to forward slash accidental dads very soon. Um, but you can also go to just accidentaldads.com dads.com. We'll have all that information. We're as little as five bucks a month. You can get bonus episodes, exclusive content and discount codes on merchandise for both shows. So thank you so much for listening to our debut episode on stone temple pilots and listen Again, this is our first one. There's going to be some bugs. We're going to work out. We're going to get it figured out, but, uh, it, it I I enjoyed it. I I really like talking about music. We both do. We're both yeah. nerds. Hopefully Logan is learning something. Oh yeah, this is like us just hanging out,
1: talking shop all the time. Right, it's that, what's great about it.
0: And we and really you get to be in it and be like, what? Who is that? Who is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, constantly asking the question. You're that's learning. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So do us a favor. Go out there and uh, subscribe everywhere. Tell your friends about it. Even if you're not like, oh, uh, you know, really big into certain what, um, you know, uh, musicians or whatever, you're going to learn a lot. Hopefully. Oh, we're going
1: to cover everything though. I mean, right. country, pop. I mean, absolutely. Th- there's people that you're going to be like. whoa these dudes are covering
0: that yeah I guarantee we will cover someone you like at some point in time
1: absolutely I'm
0: gonna say that so lastly in the immortal words of Scott Weiland breathing is the hardest thing to do with all I've said and all that's dead for you you lied goodbye Listener, we hope you enjoyed our song, and remember, you can listen to it anytime you want to on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to your favorite music. Just look up Icons and Outlaws. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.